the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on this Wednesday morning on 101 ESPN. 701, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, happy hump day. Happy hump, hump day. day. Hump day. Happy hump day to you, Randy. <laughs> Looking forward to a great three hours of sports here on 101 ESPN. We're going to talk to uh, Kalia Collier. She is the new vice president of communication, community relations for St. Louis City SC. Boy, they're growing that organization in a hurry, aren't they? Yeah, it feels like every week there's a new big hire coming out of St. Louis City SC, and it's exciting stuff. It's exciting that they're assembling their team, and we're getting to see the group of people that is going to help curate our game day experience. EJ Raddick from NHL Network is going to join us as well. And coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, we're going to talk to Kevin Eibach. He's the Senior Director of Pro Personnel and Pro Scouting for the Tampa Bay Rays. Pro Scouting. I wonder who he might have scouted in the last, oh, year and a half or so. Oh, could it be Randy Rosarena? I think so. Who has just absolutely lit the playoffs on fire? Yes, ma'am. We're going to talk to Kevin Ibeck about what they saw in Randy Rosarena that the Cardinals did not. But we'll start with last night's baseball. Atlanta grabbing a 2-0 lead over the Dodgers. Who saw this coming? (laughs) Holy smokes. Atlanta getting the first runs again and getting them from the same source. Gotzelin ready and delivers. Swing and a ball hammered right field. If it's fair, it's gone. It's fair, it's gone. Freddie Freeman has done it again inside the pole and over the right field fence, his second homer this postseason. He had one last night, and here tonight, he's given the Braves a 2-0 lead. And Michelle, the Braves built a 7-0 lead by the seventh inning, and I'm sure that every Braves fan was feeling pretty good. You think? You think? But the Dodgers get a home run to make it a, a, a Ozzy Albies after uh, his solo homer in the ninth inning made it 8-3. to three. That was following a Corey Seager home run in the seventh that had made it a 7-3 game. So it's 8-3 heading into the bottom of the ninth. Seager doubles home Mookie Betts. Then Max Muncie with a two-run homer to make it 8-6. to six. And then Cody Bellinger with this to close the gap even more. And the 0-1. Swing and a ball hammered right field. That one takes a hop and bangs off the wall. Racing towards third is Will Smith. Smith coming to the plate, and he's in. Bellinger into third. It's an RBI triple, and the Dodgers are within one. Ooh, it's 8-7. to seven. Oh. 8-7. And A.J. Pollock is at the plate. Hard hit. Third baseman. 
makes the play, and that's Austin Riley to end the night. What a game, what a finish, and Riley, the sure-handed third baseman who made a great defensive stop in the first, makes a sure-handed play in the ninth, and in a four-hour, 12-minute game, the Atlanta Braves hang on to win this one 8-7. to 7-0 turns into 8-7 to by the end. What a game. It was great. And what a series this has been. I mean, some interesting, interesting uh, things coming out of L.A., Randy. We need to talk about Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, he missed that start with back spasms. Obviously, he's had his back issues over the years, and you wonder if we're going to see him in this series. I doubt it. Do you think this is a you-can't-be-called-a-choker-if-you-don't-play type move? That is, yeah. But You know, that's that meme where the guy's tapping his head, like, yep. I'm a step ahead of you What's guys. What's the most important ability, though? Availability. Right. You got to be there, Clayton. You got to be there for us. But doesn't this just scream? I mean, and aside from the the two nothing deficit that the Dodgers are in, but when you read that bulletin that's officially official mm-hmm. coming across Twitter, oh. Clayton Kershaw back spasms. This and that you're starting to think: Is this another way that the Dodgers are going to fall apart and not be able to get it done? After that team again is so good, things like this are happening to them in the postseason. And- this is why I said when we were pick when we were picking our brackets for 101ESPN.com, which you can go check out by the. I'm sure they're all wrong mm-hmm. right now, but there was something in me that did not even even though they were a juggernaut and even though they were such a dominant team, there's something in me that does not trust the Dodgers and doesn't ever want to pick them. Down to nothing now. They're in trouble. They are in big time trouble. Meanwhile, the Tampa Bay Rays have put Houston in big trouble as well, winning last night 5-2. to two. So it's a one nothing lead for Houston, Michelle, heading into the sixth inning. Randy Rosarena, who else, singles <laughs> to lead off the inning. Brandon Lau grounds into what should have been a double play, but poor guy. Jose Altuve apparently has the yips, throws it away, <laughs> and so you've got runners. After the error by Altuve, you've got two runners aboard. A single by Diaz moves a Rosarena to third and Lau to second. So you've got the bases loaded and Joey Wendell at the plate. The 0-2 and a fastball and he pokes it the other way for another base hit. A Rosarena is going to come in to score. Lau is getting the wave and he will score as Brantley's throw comes into third. Stopping at second is Diaz and Tampa Bay has taken the lead. Willie Adamas was hit by a pitch with the bases loaded and then Hunter Renfro with a two-run double. Later on, a two-run homer by Michael Brantley made it 5-2 Houston, and the Rays were able to hold on. Castillo ready for an 0-2 pitch. In the air, left center field, playable. Margot's got it, and that's it. The ball game is over. The Tampa Bay Rays, they win it 5-2, and a 3-0 series lead in this American League Championship Series. Bye-bye, cheaters. You know, you hate to see it happen to somebody, especially Jose Altuve, you know. I loved this nugget from Bob Nightingale. I was reading him this morning. Altuve didn't make a throwing error in the regular season, not one. But Mm -hmm. in a span of 24 hours, he made made three errors leading to five runs. Yep. Get the yips. It happens. You know, you think maybe there's, he's just like waiting for a signal that he's not getting. You know, maybe there's something. That could be. Yeah. The Dodgers once had a second baseman back in the late 80s named Steve Sachs, who developed the yips. And there's a story when Pedro Guerrero, before he got traded here to St. Louis, uh, before he came here, he played third base for the Dodgers. And Tommy Lasorda was holding a team meeting, and uh, Guerrero was a bad fielder. And (laughs) Lasorda says to Guerrero, Pete, what are you thinking when you're over there at third base? He says, 
Well, the, the main second thing I'm thinking is, don't hit the ball to me. Don't hit the ball to me. And Lasorda says, well, what's the first thing you're thinking? He says, don't hit the ball to Sachs. Don't hit the ball to Sachs. <laughs> <laughs> what a line. <laughs> Alex Petrangelo, introduced yesterday by the Vegas Golden Knights, has it hit Petro after 12 years in St. Louis that he's making a move? You know, I don't know if it's really sunk in. Maybe when we move it will, when we're trying to pack up four kids. That's never an easy thing to do, so... Maybe it'll sink in then. Um, you know, we still have a house here. I mean, I'm going to be here, you know, probably come back in the summers and skate with these guys. And, you know, I'm around the city and, you know, I'm all friends with them. They understand. And I've talked to them and I'm looking forward to catching up with them. I haven't seen them since, uh, you know, last week. So, you know, we'll probably get out and play some golf together. And, you know, when you develop relationships, uh, you know, and going through what we went through last year, you become friends for, you know, for life. So, it uh the good part about vegas for us too is which is part of the decision was it's easy to get on a flight and get back to st louis if my wife wants to come home and see her family too so um that's really played a part in it um having that access for us yeah he's he's gonna wind up in vegas he's not gonna be in st louis you don't think he's gonna come back and skate with the boys play golf with the boys I i don't see that happening you know maybe in a handful of years why I'm, I'm just saying maybe maybe towards the end it'll be, you know, his, as you said, his wife's here, her family, or excuse me, her wife's, his wife's family is here. She's obviously going yeah. to Vegas with him. Uh, but, you know, they're going to come back and visit the family. And like Pedro mentioned, this group of guys is so incredibly close. They went through something that only they know about. It has bonded them forever. And they were teammates for a long time. I can imagine that when he comes home, yeah, he's going to call up the boys. Maybe they'll get a little skate in. Maybe they'll play some golf, hit the links, Randy. But it is going to be different. And I think one once he gets out to Vegas and gets comfortable, those experiences there, are going to yeah. be fewer and fewer. They'll have reunions in 2029 and 2034, but <laughs> he's not going to come back here and skate with the boys. Come on. I think he might. I don't think it's going to be frequent. I, but... I know what he's thinking right now, but that ain't going to happen. Is this like when you graduate college and you say, even though we're all moving to different places to start our careers, we're going to do a trip once a year. We're going to stay in touch. And then somebody gets engaged and can't make the trip. And then somebody moves further away and can't get the time off of work. And it just kind of falls by the wayside. Totally what it is. Yeah. He he can see his family when the Knights come in here a couple of times a year. Right? See her family. But no, at the end of the day, it's it's not going to be any different than Albert. You know, Albert always says, you know, I I work in Anaheim, but my home is in St. Louis, but he spends 12 months a year in Anaheim. So that's just the way it rolls. And that's the way it's going to happen. Sad. End of an era. But, you know, it never really does hit you until you're there, until you're there and that's your day to day. And there's going to be one day early in this move process or maybe a a week or so into him kind of meeting the Mm -hmm. team and getting into the facility where he's thinking, wow, I'm really not going back. This is it. Yeah. You know, right now it's kind of exciting. You're going through the process. It still feels Mm -hmm. a little bit unbelievable that you're going to move from a place that has been your home for a long time uh, and a place where you've really ingrained yourself into the community. And it is going to be different. It's going to be really different for him, especially after when we talked to Barrett Jackman yesterday. I'm so curious to see how he transitions from a leadership standpoint. How do you go from being probably the singular voice in that locker room, the one that everyone defers to and respects to being the new guy on the block. I think it's different when you're going to uh, 
a really good established team that has established leadership too. And by the way, apparently two very popular guys in that room were Paul Stastny and Nate Schmidt, who yep. both got moved to get Petro's salary in there. I think it's different for a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, who who was the voice in Buffalo of those kids, but came here and was able to assimilate. My, my point being that with Petro's personality, he doesn't need a letter to lead. And he'll have a leadership role just by the way he goes about his business. Mm-hmm. And he'll be fine with that. And I don't think that he demands a letter. I don't think he demanded a letter here. He just happened to be the guy that they gave the C to. He'll be fine there. He'll he'll fit in seamlessly. I hope so. I'm definitely cheering for him. Hope he has success in Vegas. And there was a it's Tuesday not night. Too much. Yeah, not well, not exactly. There was a Tuesday night football game in the Titans without having a practice for 17 days. This was kind of like the Cardinals coming off of their quarantine. Not exactly, but a little bit. They hadn't practiced, had a real practice for 17 days. They had a walkthrough and then mental reps, and they hammered the Bills 42-16 to 16 after 17 days. Do you think it's – I don't know what it is about this post-quarantine thing. Maybe it's just you have – uh, a jolt of life where you don't have practice, you feel rested. I don't know, but you saw it with the Marlins, the Cardinals, you saw it with the Titans. It seems to be a formula at this point. Maybe that's the thing to do. Just yeah, maybe not. Just have your <laughs> yeah. have your schedule disrupted just, because of a okay, positive have, COVID have, test. Have a COVID outbreak. Hey, let's try that. Hey. No, probably not. I wouldn't recommend it, but it does seem to have some sort of an effect. <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is what's on tap here on Carriker and Smallman. Coming up with Randy Arena's success over the last couple of weeks. Would you trade Dylan Carlson for him right now? We want your mic drops. We want your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We want to hear from you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Signed him with the Cubs. There's a shot by Rosarena. Pretty well tagged, and he's going to have another one. Home run for Rosarena just into the game. And on a 1 2 pitch, he belts his fourth home run. Boy, Rosarena had two home runs yesterday at Tropicana Field against Miami. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> A Rosarena three for four last night against Houston, Michelle. This year in the postseason, he is hitting 462. He's 18 for 39 with eight of those 18 hits being for extra bases, four home runs, three doubles, a triple, and an OPS of 1.4. We should have done a special report every day, your Randy A. report of the day, because it warrants its own special section, what he's been doing every day. And think about that, that we could have done that every day. Just, hey, this is what he did last night. <laughs> and it's spectacular every day. It is. It's, he's incredible. So the question is, and we have a poll up. Michelle has uh, placed a Twitter poll up on the tweet machine. Would what's the, what's the question? Would you trade? Okay, because we're talking about about the future here, mm-hmm. heading into the 2021 season. Would you right now trade Dylan Carlson for a Randy a Rosarena straight up a one to one swap? And Michelle, this is a really tough question. I would not because I do think Dylan Carlson has better long term upside. He's only about to be 22. A Rosarena is going to turn 26 in February. Carlson is a switch hitter. A Rosarena only a right-handed hitter. And by the way, Carlson is a by all accounts a very good hitter from both sides of the plate. He had in the minors 3 years in the minors a 781 OPS. 
A Rosarena in the minors in four years had an 853 OPS. The big differences for me, and I think they're pretty similar defensively, are going to be number one, Carlson's youth, and number two, his ability to switch hit. But if somebody said you can't do that, you have to have a Rosarena rather than Carlson, I would not complain. This is a this is such a difficult question for so many reasons. And yes, it's a little bit of recency bias as I'm looking through this lens as we're seeing Randy Rosarena do it and do it on the biggest stage. Mm-hmm. And he is clearly the the major domino effect on this team offensively. He is the one that's kind of firing everybody up. He's the force multiplier, if you will, on this Rays team. And when you're able to do it in a high pressure situation, yes, I'm going to have more faith in you. When you're able, I was you sent this over yesterday, this great piece in the Athletic about how he hits a variety of different pitches and how difficult he is to get out when you look yeah. at that. But you know what I'm kind of deferring to Randy is the Cardinals evaluation of Dylan Carlson. I'm starting to question the way that they value him. Fair. You know, they have said he's going to be the guy. He is going to be the guy we're putting they They haven't said this, but they're essentially putting so many eggs in the Dylan Carlson basket. And as I'm watching player after player that they ship out of St. Louis flourish elsewhere that they didn't maybe evaluate correctly or didn't give an opportunity to or maybe didn't think would be the guy. I'm starting to wonder, is your evaluation process something I should trust? Should I trust that Dylan Carlson is going to blossom into everything that you claim he's going to be? So I think right now, heading into 2021, and it might be a massive mistake moving forward, I might do it. I might say, yeah, give me Randy A straight up. And by the way, I do think that the Dylan Carl or not the Carlson, the Tyler O'Neill situation is more alarming for me. When you trade Marco Gonzalez because you evaluate this guy as a future star, you move Tommy Pham because you want him to be in your outfield. You let Marcel Ozuna go because you want him to be in your outfield. And you trade a Rosarena to thin out the ranks so that O'Neill can be in your outfield. To me, that is a bigger alarm bell, a bigger red flag than Dylan Carlson. They totally whiffed, at least so far, on Tyler O'Neill. It's hard to imagine that O'Neill is going to turn into the player that was worth getting rid of Fam, getting rid of uh, or letting Ozuna walk and getting rid of a Rosarena. And there were some really exciting things that you saw from Dylan Carlson, especially in their quick jaunt to the postseason this year, to where you thought, okay, this this kid can be something that's really exciting for the Cardinals. But are are you starting to wonder uh, about anybody that they say that they have stock in? Are you so, are you starting to yes. say is this something that I should emotionally buy into? It, because I'm kind of getting really nervous to think, okay, we're going to think Dylan Carlson is going to be the end all be all. He's going to be the next coming of a superstar in St. Louis. And do we trust the Cardinals enough to go there? I don't know. I don't think so at the moment. We get a text from the 314. Can you guys give up the Randy A stuff? It's getting old. Again, last night, the former Cardinal that they traded last offseason went 3 for 4 for a team that is up 3 nothing in the American League Championship Series and now is one game away from the World Series. The most important player on the America the future American League champions is a guy that the Cardinals traded 12 months ago. And you don't think that's a story in St. Louis? Huge. <laughs> Especially because they they traded him for a guy you haven't seen yet, and they trade <clears throat> they traded away a person from an area of need that could have helped you win now to an area of strength yep. that you might see next year, maybe the year after that. We have mic drops on one hundred and one ESPN. Let's go to Brooks. Brooks. So I would call up the Rays and ask them if they would take Carlson for a Rosarena. 
if the race said yes, then I would go ahead and act like the phone was breaking up and I would hang up the phone and I would keep Carlson because the Rays can evaluate talent <laughs> unlike us. And if they called back, I would say, oh, that must have been my kid that called. That's a great play. That's exactly what you do. The whoops. Oh, okay. Wait, you want, you want Carlson? You're good for that. Okay. Oh, my bad. Bye. A <laughs> uh, text from the 314. Uh, it, we've heard Bader is the guy. Yes, we have. And this from the 314. I would not trade Carlson for a Rosarena. I would have gladly given up on Bader and O'Neill, kept Randy A and Ozuna, and had the best offense in the National League Central by a mile. Oh, isn't that painful to hear? <laughs> because that's, that's definitely a scenario that you could have had this past season. Yeah. Let's go to Rob with a mic drop. I would not give up Dylan Carlson for a Rosarena. I would happily give up Harrison Bader and Carpenter, and I would still retain their salaries just not to watch them play. <laughs> <laughs> but but see, that that's where the difficulty in this lies, is that you haven't really seen enough of a Rosarena or Dylan Carlson. A lot of people are saying, hey, we have seen enough of Randy Rosarena to think that this, that this guy has talent and that we'd like to have him wearing a Cardinal uniform again. But it's you can't project the future, but it's which player do, do you trust more? Which, which skill set are you willing to bet on more? Moving forward. And that's a that's a difficult question to ask. It really is because they're both really talented players. It's a hard choice. Right now, if, if you are not invested, if you're watching this from Chicago and you're a Cubs fan, you say, boy, the Cardinals are stupid. But <laughs> I do think that it's not just us. You have to look at the way these two guys were projected by the experts. And Carlson has been a top 40 prospect. Randy Rosarena wasn't a top 100 prospect rated by these guys. Now, things change. The the scouts obviously make mistakes because the Cardinals guys did. But around the globe, when you talk to or when you hear from or read the people that are quote-unquote experts... They liked Carlson a lot more than they liked a Rosarena. Yeah, the the book on a Rosarena was that he had a lot of talent, but he was really raw. Can mm-hmm. he re- refine his swing? And and reading a lot about him, he talked about how in St. Louis the hit, the hitting coaches here and in the minor leagues really helped him reposition himself and open up his swing. And so it's they they knew enough to draft him, they they or to bring him to St. Louis. They knew enough to refine his swing. They essentially did all the work to make him what he is in Tampa now. Then they got him to the major league level and it turned into a mess. Yeah. Maybe that's the problem. Let's get one more mic drop. This is Jason on 101 ESPN. With all the success that a Rosa Rain has had, I still wouldn't trade Dylan Carlson right now to reacquire him. The Cardinals have made too many moves where they sell low, buy high because they think that they need to do something. I can't, I could not stand another one if they trade away Dylan Carlson, and then he starts to emerge as well. So I have a theory for you. I always used to say the Blues were like good luck Chuck. Okay, remember mm-hmm. that terrible Dane Cook movie yeah. where anytime he would date a girl, she would automatically break up with him and go on and find her husband? Mm-hmm. The Blues used to be good luck Chuck. The TJ Oshies of the world would would come to St. Louis. They would leave. They would go. They would win a win champion. A Stanley Cup. They would win a Stanley Cup. There was a long history of guys who would leave St. Louis and get it done. Are the card Has that bounced down Market Street to the Cardinals? Are they now good luck Chuck? They very well could be. That Ch- makes sense. Because it seems like these guys who are either not getting an opportunity or the Cardinals have given up on are 
are finding their match somewhere else, whether it's New York or whether it's Atlanta or whether it's Tampa Bay. These teams are seeing something and wanting to take a chance on the Cardinals cast off and they're having a beautiful marriage. That is a troubling thought. They're good luck, Chuck. From the 618, can they please stay away from trades with Tampa? That front office runs circles around the cards. If Tampa wants one of our guys, we need to steer clear of that trade. They can see what we can't. Are they the Bill Belichick of baseball? They might be. Hey, uh, four NLCS teams, all of them worked under Andrew Friedman, who was with Tampa, now with the Dodgers. Eric Neander with Tampa, spent 14 years with Friedman. Uh, the new guy in Houston spent 14 years in the Rays organization. Alex Anthopoulos with the Dodgers, or with the Braves, rather, worked under Friedman in L.A. So, yeah, there's something there. There's a system. And people are saying, oh, Randy Rose, Reina, the Cardinals couldn't have seen this coming. Well, the Rays evaluated him to the point where they were willing to give up a very precious resource Mm -hmm. in what is a highly touted starting pitcher, pitching prospect, and Matthew Libertor. They didn't give up nothing for him. They gave up something that most people would consider a very rare thing to have in your organization. So they believed in him enough and thought that he was going to be a star enough that they gave up something pretty good for him. And then apparently got a pretty good prospect from the Cubs for Jose Martinez, too. Let's get one more mic drop. This is Courtney. Me personally, I would trade Dylan Carlson for Randy or Rosarena for a couple of reasons. Randy's faster. He's going to give you great defense. And most importantly, when bases are loaded, he's going to drive one or two players in. Dylan Carlson chokes when bases are loaded. And I'll even throw in the scouting department for Randy or Rosarena. I uh, I can't disagree with anything Courtney said there. No, they're all facts. It's an it's a really interesting debate. And watch in three years, Dylan Carlson is going to be everything that the Cardinals have promised that he'll be, and we're all going to be so excited to have him in St. Louis. And maybe Randy A's production dips, and this is a moot conversation. But for right now, as we sit here. And this is not an indictment on Dylan Carlson by any means. It's not. No. It's it's more a hey, the the Cardinals have oh. said this is going to be the guy. Do you trust them? The Cardinals front office in moving a guy like a Rosarena and a guy like Luke Voigt and allowing Ozuna to walk away. They say that you can indict a ham sandwich. This is much more than a ham sandwich <laughs> that makes the Cardinal front office indictable. Is this the whole spread? It is. It's everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and thanks for your mic drops. We'll take those throughout the day. Would you trade Carlson for a Rosarena straight up? Next up, a lot of news in the NFL, including a formerly premier running back that's on the market. That's coming your way on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle, the former Pittsburgh Steelers running back Le'Veon Bell sat out the 2018 season because he wasn't happy with the money that he was going to get from the Steelers. They had offered him a deal that would make him the richest running back in history. Sat out the year before 2019, signed a free agent contract with the New York Jets. Four years, $52.5 million. Did practically nothing in New York. And yesterday, after they tried to trade him and couldn't find a taker, the Jets released Le'Veon Bell. He still has $6 million left on his 2020 salary, but 
If somebody thinks that he can help them, they can sign him for the minimum after 3 o'clock this afternoon. What an... What an interesting career he's had. Oh, wait, Le'Veon Bell is disgruntled and he has a problem with his team. Sounds familiar, right? This is becoming the book on Le'Veon Bell. And I think it's interesting that the Jets called around. They tried to get every team to bite on this and no one was interested in taking on that contract. So they just said, okay, you know what? We're going to eat the six mil and we're just going to be done with this. And I... It's, it's kind of the chicken or the egg. How much of it is Le'Veon Bell complaining and liking tweets that say Adam Gase isn't doing a good job and not utilizing them in the right way? And how much of it is the ineptitude of the, of the Jets organization? I think it's probably a little bit of both. The truth lies somewhere in the middle. But I, I always like players that are confident in themselves and bet on themselves. But when this becomes a pattern, sometimes you need to look around and read the room. Maybe it's you. Maybe the problem is you. I've got a couple of directions here. Number one, with the problem being you. Let's go back to those Steelers with the killer bees, with Ben, Brown, and Bell. Oh, man. And what Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell have turned out to be. And again, what a magnificent job Mike Tomlin must have been doing in Pittsburgh to keep those two under wraps. This is a guy, Le'Veon Bell, who got pulled over one time driving to a the airport for a preseason game. He'd been smoking weed, the ganja. He had been puffing the magic dragon. (laughs) And he thought that that wasn't driving under the influence. He didn't understand that driving under the influence could be more than just alcohol. Mm. I was just smoking weed. I wasn't under the influence. The devil's lettuce, man. Yeah. So Le'Veon Bell, probably not the sharpest pencil in the box. Also, if we're giving shouts and, and credit to Mike Tomlin, let's not forget Ben Big Ben in that equation. You yeah. mentioned him. But how many times has he had issues and or the old Brett Favre routine that he would do almost every season where he would be like, I don't know if I'm coming back. Right. Like, you're com- stop it. Stop yeah. it. But I don't know how Mike Tomlin was able to do it. I don't know if it was medication. I don't know if it was therapy. <laughs> I don't know if it was a drink after every, after every practice or game. But he really deserves so much credit for being able able to keep most of that stuff in-house at the time and really be able to extract the best out of all of those guys. And lose Pro Bowl, all pro-type talents, and here they are sitting at 4-0. Bill Barnwell has a piece up at ESPN.com about the places that are likely to be attracted to Le'Veon Bell. He's got the Bears number one, the Chiefs number two, and the Buccaneers number three. I would cross the Buccaneers off that list. And I would put the Indianapolis Colts, who lost Marlon Mack on the first play of the season to a torn Achilles and need a running back, especially a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield. I think Le'Veon Bell would be a great fit in Indy. You don't think that Tom Brady, after the Antonio Brown experiment, I mean, he had Antonio Brown mm-hmm. living at his house. Right. You know, if, if, if he's going to fall in line for anybody, I wonder if it would be Brady and Arians. Here's the thing. They have Ronald Jones Jr., who's a good running back. They picked up Fournette. They signed LaShawn McCoy. They've got a ton of guys. They've got another guy, another pass receiver out of the backfield. They just got a ton of guys. And I don't. Do you really need Fournette, McCoy, and Le'Veon Bell? I mean, you, there's only so many 30 plus running backs you can carry, and it's generally zero. You're sort of having a collection of them. <laughs> the Falcons are 0 and 5. They fired their head coach, Dan Quinn, and their GM, Thomas Dimitrov. And Arthur Blank would not commit to Matt Ryan being the quarterback of the future in Atlanta. And Rich McKay said, hey, we're going to give leeway to our new general manager. We're going to let our new GM and coach run this organization. So they won't say whether or not Matt Ryan will be back. As a matter of fact, Arthur Blank said, quote, we'll have to see. 
Matt Ryan is 35, and he's been great for them. He's the most successful quarterback in that, fran- in that franchise's history. However, I think the Falcons are in such a deep, dark place that they need a full reboot. They need to go young. They, they need a, a coach and a GM to come in. They need to find their guy, uh, maybe Trevor Lawrence, who knows. But I just I think that they're at a point in that organization where they need to wipe the slate clean, even if that includes Matt Ryan. And even before the firing of Dan Quinn, There were rumors that Blank was ready to deliver a blank check to Dabo. So if Dabo can get Trevor Lawrence, then you've got a combo there. Wouldn't that be fun? That'd be great for the NFL. Having those two together in Atlanta, that'd be terrific. More going on. Michelle, I don't think that I I know. I'm going to not say that I don't think that. I have not provided enough respect to Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans. Even though they went to the AFC Championship game last year, I still have questions about Ryan Tannehill, still have questions about their approach. Last night, they just hammered the previously unbeaten Bills 42-16, to and one year it can be a fluke. The Jacksonville Jaguars showed us that a couple of years ago. I don't think this is a fluke with the Titans. Do you think we need to put some respect on their name? Yeah. Because last season it was, oh, Derrick Henry. Oh, we didn't expect this out of Ryan Tannehill. And even this season, they're squeaking by in these games. You know, they beat Denver 16 to 14, Jacksonville 33 to 30, Minnesota 31 to 30. And those are teams that you think that they, if if we were to believe in them, should have had better outcomes or, or more more uh, demanding outcomes, I should say. But I don't know. They seem to be for real, and I would put them in my top five teams in the league right now. Who are your top five? Well, let's see. You're going to put the Seahawks, Packers, and Chiefs in the mix. Yep. Okay, we'll have the Titans at number five. That number four slot. Let me think. I don't know if I want to put the Ravens in there. See, I'm, I'm very... The Steelers, I'll yeah, put in. Steelers. I'm very close to you. I, I still have the Ravens ahead of the Steelers. So I'm like you with our top two, Seahawks, Packers, and then I'm going Chiefs as well, and I'm going to go Ravens, and maybe my Titans have to be six with all due respect. <laughs> Your Titans. It, yeah, because, well, heck, they've... They've got a St. Louis flavor. They're close. Yeah, so let's go. But they, they would be six because I would have the Steelers ahead of them. I think the race for the AFC North is going to be epic because Cleveland's in the mix now. So you have the Browns, the Steelers, and the Ravens. That's going to be pretty fun. Super fun. Those are NFL news and notes on Carriker and Smallman. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We do want your text right now, 65780, to the Air Comfort Service text line for Take It or Leave It. And if you'd like to participate in the fight at 830, you can send us a text. All you have to do is put the word fight in your text to 65780. And perhaps, Scotty, will choose you to be a participant in the fight today at 8.30. It's Carriker and Smallman and Michelle. I don't know if you saw this on the interwebs. There is video evidence of Bronny James, LeBron's son, visiting Aunt Mary, taking advantage of some of that bobo bush that's out there. <laughs> the, the crazy weed, as the kids call it these days. Uh, and uh, so Bronny apparently plays Warcraft on a regular basis online with Odell Beckham Jr. of the Cleveland Browns. They get together at night. And while Bronny is enjoying a little of the Doradia, he also is uh, <laughs> using the, the controller and participating in, in Warcraft. Well, the other night, after his mug showed up online with him smoking the mm-hmm. African bush, he 
uh, was supposed to be playing in a Warcraft game with Odell Beckham Jr. Where is Brian? Wasn't Brian supposed to be here? What did he say? Wasn't Brian supposed to be here? Yeah, yeah, but he said he, he said he couldn't today. No, I wonder why. How is he? Yeah. Uh, how is he? <laughs> now, apparently, when LeBron James got word in the bubble of Bronny enjoying the sweet Lucy, uh, LeBron <laughs> warned him that he was going to be home in less than 24 hours. This is just as legend would have it. Right, right. Uh, take it or leave it. Future NBA star Bronny James has been scared straight and won't be having a fatty anymore. <laughs> um, I'm going to leave it. I think that Bronny James has probably learned not to put it on social media. <laughs> That's probably the lesson that he's learned there. Right. Um, but take it or leave it. LeBron, he really brought the hammer down on Bronny. Oh, I'll take that. Yeah. He's like, oh, you thought because I was in the bubble that you could get away with this? Yeah. Well, guess what? Yeah. You just can't put yourself having Babalacha on the interwebs. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way, Bronny. Come on. it's uh, We know that athletes enjoy some bang-bang once in a while, but you just can't put it on the Internet. <laughs> Don't leave a trail. Don't leave the evidence. It's the devil's lettuce. Come on. Okay. Even, even if you've got a hold of some Acapulco gold, Bronny, no. Um, take it or leave it. Bronny James getting grounded is not a punishment When after you've seen the house that LeBron lives in. I'll take that. A hundred percent. Houses. Houses. I'm stuck in this house with a theater and a chef and a gym and a pool. <laughs> but he can't play Warzone with OBJ now. Oh, bummer. I guess I'm just going to have to go do one of the you know myriad of other things that I have at my disposal. I bet his room is bigger than our houses. Oh, yeah. No yeah, doubt. Yeah. So Where, where's I'm sure. Bronny? Um, that's probably the best grounding of all time. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, it tells you a lot about where we are as a an athletic society too. That Odell Beckham Jr. is playing Warcraft with LeBron James' son, and, high school age son. Okay, take it or leave it. It's a bigger punishment for Bronny to be made fun of on the video game live stream for being grounded. Gonna take it. Yeah. That has to be humiliating for him because <laughs> he probably thinks, oh, you know, he's this highly touted cool, guy. He's yep. so cool. He's so cool, Randy, that he was putting his extracurricular activities on social media. But now he's getting made fun of because he's grounded by his dad. For puffing the magic dragon. Mm. Yep. <laughs> Scotty, what do you got for us? All right. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This one comes in from the 314. New blue, Tori Krug. Take it or leave it. We'll score 10 plus goals this year. Take it. Take it. And it'll be easy. He might yeah. score 20. Yeah. This one from the 636. We just talked about the Falcons uh, firing their head coach and general manager. And uh, some things are not going good in Atlanta. Take it or leave it. Julio Jones will be a Patriot before the end of the deadline. Ooh. Mm, I'm going to leave that. You think he stays in Atlanta? Yeah, I do. He's, I believe, the highest paid receiver in the league. I don't know that many teams can fit him under the cap. But especially if you're New England right now, you can't even figure out who your quarterback is. <laughs> and I know that they don't have the most talented receiving core, but they do have young receivers. I would be surprised if Belichick, with, if Brady were still there, it might be a different deal. But I, I don't think with these quarterbacks that that's the way they're built right now. I wonder what their ownership, what Arthur Blank is thinking. Like if you're if you're ready to move past Matt Ryan, are you ready to do the same with Julio? Are you with Julio yeah. Jones? Are you ready to just say, hey, total rebuild. We're gonna try to move these these guys. We're gonna try to recoup what we can, but we are going to start from the ground up. 
Or do you hang? Because it seems to me that it would be interesting to hang on to one and not the other. Yeah, that's right. Because they're two veteran guys. Now, let me give you a team, Michelle, that has some cap space. They have... 8.3 8.3 million. So they could perhaps fit Julio in. What about the Packers for Julio Jones? Ooh. Give Aaron Rodgers that boost. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting. And, and they they have Devontae Adams, but he's hurt all the time. That'd be an interesting move. I don't know if they could fit him under the cap with 8.3 million with what Julio is making, but it's worth a look if you're them. This one from the 636. Take it or leave it. Florida could have the best sports season ever. The Lightning winning the Stanley Cup. The Rays could win the World Series. And the Buccaneers could win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'll take that. Definitely have to take it. And we mentioned the other day, if you have a Rays-Dodgers World Series, which seems unlikely now, but because the Dodgers are down (laughs) 2-0, but that would be a battle for the best sports city between L.A. and Tampa if you have that World Series. Because the Lakers won the, the NBA championship. Lightning won the NHL championship, and nobody down there is really dreaming of NFL championships right now in either city. In either city. Which fan base in Florida do you think would care less about a championship? The Rays, the Bucks, or the Lightning? The Rays fans would care the least. Lightning won, Bucks two. You know, mate, I think if the Bucks won a Super Bowl down there, it would go Bucks, Lightning, Rays. But Rays are an easy bottom of the list. And your last one from the 618, take it or leave it without Alex Petrangelo. The peak of the season for the Blues is the Western Conference Finals. We'll leave that because, again, we've talked about it. We don't know how good Jordan Bennington is going to be. But if Bennington is what he was in 2019, Mm -hmm. then the sky's the limit. I'm also very interested to see Justin Falk with some stability. Me too. And it'll... It'll be interesting to see how the Blues are able to advance their young defensemen, especially Miko Mikola, because he's the size guy that hopefully at some point will be able to approximate. He's not going to be as good as Jay Bomeister. Can't count on that at least. Mm -hmm. But hopefully he'll wind up being a solid defender, which they need a defensive defenseman on the left side. Thank you, Scotty. You got it. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. St. Louis City SC has a new Vice President of Community Relations, and Kalia Collier is going to join us to talk about her new job next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN, where it's 8.03. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. St. Louis City SC has a new vice president of community relations. It's Kalia Collier, who joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. She also involved with the St. Louis Surge basketball team. She's going to stay as the owner of the St. Louis Surge. Kalia, thanks so much for joining us and congratulations on your new position. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Kalia, in your role as the owner of the Surge, you certainly had a lot of experience ingraining yourself and in, in your organization into the St. Louis community. But what's something that you've learned as the owner of the Surge that you're going to carry with you to your new role with St. Louis City SC? You know, it's awesome, Michelle. I feel like everything that I've done up to this point has prepared me to take on this new role. Uh, and it's definitely going to be the collaboration and partnerships of the value relationships uh, for us to continue that forward within St. Louis City SC. Uh, and I'm excited. I've already fostered a lot of those conversations and partnerships so far to carry over to today. Kalia, it's interesting when you look at 
everything that the franchise has done, even up to and including the name of the franchise, it does seem to be all about the St. Louis community. 100 percent. It's very intentional. They were very thoughtful for the impact and the transformation this is going to make not only for the city, but our region. Uh, And I think everyone has a lot of excitement about what City SC is going to bring for our city. Kalia, in the the press release that came out about your hiring, I loved this line, and I thought that this was a really uh, great thing and indicative of just what the vision for St. Louis City SC is, because they said that in your role, you're going to push St. Louis City SC forward to redefine winning through community impact and outreach. So to have St. Louis City SC, before they've even played a game, say, hey, winning to us is more than just the score at the end of the game and what happens on the field. We want to win with our community impact as well. A hundred percent. My philosophy has always been holistic, uh, and that's what we do on and off the field now. And I, I think it's it's entirely encompassing, too, to make sure that we understand that our fans are our assets. And as much as they're looking forward to us being competitive on the field, we have a lot of groundwork to lay before our first inaugural season in 2023. Kalia Collier, Vice President of Community Relations for St. Louis City SC. And a lot of what you're, do, you're going to do isn't reinventing the wheel. It's just the knowledge that a pro sports team in a town and the athletes on that team and the people involved with the organization can make such a big impact just by going out and being productive members of the community. Uh, Absolutely. And I think that's what's amazing about the power of sport, right? We have so many touch points of bringing people together, the camaraderie, the morale, uh, and the excitement, right? The the buzz alone that's happening around the team and the club um, really puts a smile on people's face. And I think where I'm going to really have fun is igniting and continuing that momentum uh, as, you know, this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. And we, we have a lot of future uh, youth soccer players who are just as excited, too. And, Kalia, while we're excited about your new role with St. Louis City SC, as Randy mentioned, you are going to stay on as the owner of the St. Louis Surge. Co- Surge. So can you give our listeners an update? What's the latest with the Surge? Yeah, absolutely. Though the Surge will no longer have me as GM, uh, we are well positioned uh, to continue our momentum for our 10th season uh, approaching May in 2021 at WashU. We have some incredible leadership announcements that's going to be happening here in the new future. So I hope to uh, have a second call with you guys to share those announcements. But I think people know uh, me being a St. Louisan, I'm rooted here. Uh, and the Surge is going to continue doing what we do best uh, on the court but I'm excited to shift my attention to City SC. And finally, Kalia, one of the great things about our town, one of my favorite things, is that every year in Charity Navigator, St. Louis is rated one of the top three most philanthropic cities in America. So not only do you have that position of being a community relations vice president, but you know that the community is going to participate too. Oh, 100%. Uh, you know, the philanthropic efforts and what the Taylor family have have done just alone uh, as a family has been incredible. And I think that speaks to Carolyn's leadership of what we're going to continue to do here at City SD to ensure that we're continuing to pay it forward and continuing to be transformational in our city. Um, And I think that's where the support is going to continue to build because so many people want to be a part of this incredible historic uh, time that we're in right now. And Michelle and I are all about St. Louis and the community. So whenever you have something that comes up, feel free to give us a call and you have an open invitation so that we can get the word out. 
we greatly appreciate that. I'm very thankful for you all having me on this morning. Uh, and we're excited. Uh, Michelle, you know me uh, in multiple capacities. So now, you know, you have two teams to be able to cheer for. That's right, Kalia. We're looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is Kalia Collier, new vice president of community, community relations for St. Louis City SC. And Michelle, the Blues and Cardinals both do spectacular community work. But that was one thing that the Rams did very well. They had great community relations people and they utilized that platform to do wonderful things in the community. A lot of times players took it upon themselves. Chris Long, for example, did a lot of that himself. But they they always put good people in Mm -hmm. charge of community relations. And that was a huge part of our philanthropic community was having an an NFL team. That's a void that St. Louis City SC can really help fill. And having someone like Kalia Collier, who's been on the ground in St. Louis doing this with the surge for a while, she knows what she's doing. And as she mentioned, she's a St. Louis girl, so she understands what the city needs and she understands how to fill that void. And, you know, we've had the opportunity and the pleasure to talk to these new hires for St. Louis City SC as they've been rolling them out. And what I think is really interesting is that they've hired people who are local and homegrown for certain aspects of this, but have also gone outside of the community for different things. You have a Lutz Steel. You have an Edmund Elsie who we spoke to. But when it comes to certain things with St. Louis, I think that they realize, as St. Louisans themselves, certain things in St. Louis need to be handled by people that absolutely under, understand our community, whether it's Matt Seebeck, who's going mm-hmm. to help curate the experience, or it's Kalia Collier, who, who knows how to engage with the community. I think they, they've been knocking it out of the park with all of their hires. Right. In terms of just winning soccer games, you can go outside the community because it's all about winning. But if you're going to be involved with the St. Louis community, we are kind of provincial. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> it does help to know the St. Louis community. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. Next up, do the Cardinals need an electrifying presence to help them succeed? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. I mean, he's, uh, he might be the best player in the world, if, if not the universe. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. Uh, he's, I mean, he shows up every day ready to, to get after it and hit the crap out of the baseball. I mean, he's, he, he kind of keeps to himself off of it. But, I mean, when it comes to, you know, playing baseball and contributing to the team, he's high-energy, fun guy to be around. Tampa Bay Rays pitcher Peter Fairbanks from Webster Groves and Mizzou joined us yesterday on 101 ESPN. Michelle, when's the last time the Cardinal fans could have said, that they were watching the best player in the world, if not the universe. And do you assume, by the way, that if a player is the best player in the world, that he's the best player in the universe? Or do you have some thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I assume if he's the best player in the world, he probably is the best player in the universe. Okay. You know, I'm not really hip, Randy, to the stats of the players on other planets, so I can't really make a succinct argument here, but I would imagine that this planet, that this world has some pretty good baseball players. Oh, yeah, pretty good. But I, I wonder if we had a universe series, if we would come up with the best team or if there would be maybe some beings from another area of the universe that might have better players. But you know what? I've heard the guys from Mars don't have a lot of power. And okay. so I think Randy A. would definitely win in that argument. <laughs> Do you guys think the Monstars could play baseball? Space Jam. I'm sure they could. But see that. But do they have their mojo? Here's the thing, though. Those monsters were actually NBA players that had touched the basketball. Really? Yeah. 
Do you not remember Muggsy and all those guys? They touched oh, the basketball right. and then they turn into the Monstars. Yeah. So I think that's kind of a moot argument because they are Earth beings that just happen to touch the basketball. Well, Randy Rosarena appears at the moment to be from another planet. He does. Because he is otherworldly. He's hitting 462 in these playoffs. He has 18 hits and 39 at-bats. He was 3 for 4 last night, scored the first run, and Tampa took a 3 nothing lead over Houston in the ALCS. And the Cardinals don't have an electrifying presence like that. A guy who grabs the attention of all baseball fans. Even at the their best, I don't see a Cardinal player who is capable of doing what this guy is doing. Who is the guy who has the national juice on this team? Yadier Molina? Adam Wainwright? And it's because of their body of work and what they were able to do this season. And but- Goldie's multiple top five MVP guy. But how many people nationally are talking about Paul Goldschmidt? Only baseball fans. But even baseball fans, are they are they talking about the Randy oh, Rosarenas no. of the world? Or no. Are they talking about, hey, have you seen the steady and consistent production coming out of St. Louis and Paul Goldschmidt? Do you see the way he hits a home run and then respectfully trots around the bases with his head, head dipped? I mean, there... He might be mentioned, but I don't think he's enough to really engage the average baseball fan in conversation. Well, and to your point, you think now about players that would be mentioned. Would it be Fernando Tatis Jr.? Would it be Bryce Harper? Would it be right now a Randy or Rosarena? The guys that are regarded as the best players not only are good players, but they do so, they play with a flair. And the Cardinals don't have that or those players right now, do they? Albert Pujols played with flair. Jim Edmonds played with flair. Obviously, Ozzie Smith played with flair. Who on the Cardinals now, and granted, Colton Wong is spectacular Mm -hmm. defensively, but doesn't have the capability to play with offensive flair. What Cardinal player do you say, wow, he's really fun to watch hit, and then after he hits the ball? Yeah, I was going to say that there's only two guys that I would even put on that list really for the Cardinals. The first one is Colton Wong, and that's defensively. And the other would be Harrison Bader defensively. He makes some Mm -hmm. catches that make you say, wow. But from an offensive standpoint, there's no one really in this Cardinals lineup that makes you say, wow. And we say this with all due respect to Paul Goldschmidt because he, he was a slam dunk acquisition for the Cardinals. He's been a great Cardinal, and he does provide you consistent and steady production. But we're talking about from a national standpoint where you're trying to capture kind of an average fan who says, wow, have you seen what blank player is doing in St. Louis? And I don't think that any of these guys, and maybe they have that personality inside the clubhouse, but so far to this point, we really haven't seen that electricity and that, wow, I can't wait to watch him and see what he does tomorrow, kind of je ne sais quoi out of a player here in St. And Michelle, when you look at the way the team is built, I get the impression that that's the way that the Cardinals front office wants it. When you look at Matt Carpenter and Paul DeYoung and Paul Goldschmidt, and you look at the outfielders that they kept like Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas rather than a Rosarena, and guys with flair like Tommy Pham and a Rosarena are sent packing, you kind of get the sense that the Cardinals would like to have that more even-keel, business-like approach rather than the guys who do jump around and have fun. And by the way, we shouldn't dismiss Adam Wainwright's fun. No, he's the best. But it's really difficult 
as a pitcher, as a starting pitcher especially, to bring that to the club every single day. And I'm almost removing Wainwright and Yachty out of this conversation and kind of looking towards what is life going to be like once they decide what their next moves are going to be. Because whether Waino stays another year, Yachty comes back, there's still only a few years left on that timeline. Mm -hmm. So who's kind of a guy who's in the next wave that we're going to see for a while who can carry that torch for the Cardinals? And I'm going to disagree with you there because while we didn't, we had an unusual offseason this year because of a pandemic. We didn't really get the the typical, hey, here's the Cardinals rolling out their new uniforms and we're having the you know the you know all of these different events, etc. But the year before that, who was the guy that they pushed out that you saw on MLB Network Bader. that it was Harrison Bader. And they did it because they thought he would bring that excitement, that electricity. I think they are looking for somebody like that. And that's what makes it even more frustrating is because they didn't say, hey, we're gonna push out Paul DeYoung, who's who's really smart and he's the guy that shows up every day and you know, he this and that. They said, we want excitement. It's Harrison Bader. It's the powder blues. And it's the guy with fashion. It's the guy that's going to make an exciting catch. It's the guy with the hair. This is what they were looking for. That's a good for. point. He just didn't turn out to be that good of a hitter. And a good text, by the way, from the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Cardinal games are just background noise now. There's not one player on this club that makes me stop what I'm doing. And that's the thing. If you have the TV on and you're cooking dinner and a Cardinal steps to the plate, who is it that makes you turn away and maybe even take the chance of burning that dinner so that you can watch him hit? Wow. Okay. When you put the stakes that high, who am I going to burn my dinner for? Yeah. The only person is probably Paul Goldschmidt. And even then, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to say, oh, he'll probably do something, but I'm going to continue with this chicken. From the 314, <laughs> with all due respect, who cares if we have a flashy player? I'd rather have a team of Goldies and Flaherty's that win. Teams with a bunch of fla- flashy players rarely win. Well, the Cardinals did pretty well with flashy players, especially maybe the most flashy of all time in the 80s. They went to three World Series. They went to the 04, 06, and 11 World Series with pretty flashy players. Jim Edmonds in one of those, but Albert it was a pretty flashy player. He did a lot of cool things. And if you look now, is there a team here, whether it's Mookie Betts or whether it's Jose Altuve, he, he's made it really exciting the last couple of days defensively, or a Rosarena. <laughs> uh, when, when you're looking at these teams, uh, when you're looking at Acuna, uh, He's a flashy player. He's fun to watch. I I would disagree with that assertion that flashy players rarely win. I would also disagree with the assertion that Jack Flaherty isn't flashy. I mean, this this is a guy who gets talked about nationally. He's in the conversation. Um, you know, he's very vocal. He He's on social media. This is a guy that speaks up for things that are important to him. I think we're talking more offensively. Yeah, we're kind I, of removing pitchers out of the equation. And I here. think it just in terms of on-field energy. Right. And that's, I think, the greater point here is we played the bite of Pete Fairbanks coming in. And we asked when we asked him about Randy Rosarena yesterday, he talked about how he's the greatest player in the world, possibly the universe. But I think the more important part of what he said was at the tail end when he says he's high energy and he's fun. Because we're talking about a guy... When when I watch Randy Rosarena, Randy, he's having so much fun playing that I have fun watching him. And I I know, because we spoke to Pete... Pete Fairbanks yesterday, that that rubs off on your teammates. It does. And that's the greater point. It's not, oh, who's the guy that's going to be fun for us to tune in? This isn't about the Cardinals getting more viewership. This is about who's the guy that's going to bring that to the club every day and who's going to have a ripple effect on his teammates. And the Cardinals 
just don't have that guy right now. Now to the more important part and the most salient aspect of this conversation uh, from the 314. Just to clarify about Space Jam, they actually were aliens who stole the NBA NBA players' talent and absorbed them through the basketball. If you remember, at the end of the movie, they had to give the talent back to the NBA players. But I think my point still stands because it wasn't their talent. This is not homegrown talent from from Mars or from whatever the you know the Monstars' home planet was with mm-hmm. you know the guy they with the cigar. Yeah. They stole it from Earth beings. So I think the point still stands. Randy Rosarena, best player in the universe. Sorry, Mars. From the three one four, the parks on Jupiter. Uh, small in the atmosphere, makes the ball carry. So you got to think about that when you get them down here. What's going to happen all, with all that power? It's kind of a chorus fear, field deal, though. Look at their splits. You know, we're talking about somebody that can play anywhere in any they, ballpark. Right, and clearly a Rosarena can. I don't know if the best player on Jupiter is kind of like coming from independent league to the major leagues immediately, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the level of play in Jupiter. Like we talk about... The Japanese League being good AAA. Well, the Jupiter teams are kind of like independent leagues. So there's just not an awful lot of there there. You know, I think we're kind of discounting Saturn, too. I mean, we've talked about Mars. We've talked about Jupiter. We've got some ringers on Saturn. Yeah, they're pretty tough. Oh, ringers. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. That's funny. A little universe joke for you there. Some planetary humor. (laughs) Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we've got the fight. Stick around. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 8.33, that time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's time for the fight. Let's welcome in Randy's challenger today. Steve is with us. Good morning, Steve. Morning. How you doing? I'm doing well. Random question for you, Steve. Do you eat a lot of fast food? Not lately. I've been trying to cut down. Good for you. So I was having this conversation with Scott here in the commercial break. He was eating fast food seven days a week. Oh, that won't be good. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't it wasn't going good, Steve, but the good news is is that I have started to change my habits. I think I'm only at two times since Randy and Michelle um, have completed 75 hard. You guys are what, 12 days in now? 14. 14. Oh it feels my gosh. like six months. But so two times 14. in two weeks for me now? It's not bad. That's not bad. Okay, Steve, if you could have one thing, you could go through one drive-thru, get one thing from any fast food restaurant, where are you going? Oh, Taco Bell. <laughs> do you have a specific order? Because I know that Scott does. <laughs> He's told me. It's a very thorough order. I like the quesadillas and I like the Mexican pizza. Nice. What about you? What's have you tried then? the Grande Stacker? <laughs> Steve. No, but it, it looks good. It's new on the menu. I like the new stuff that they've been promoting and Grande Stackers are great. I feel like we should have Taco Bell sponsor the fight, but... You know, for for me, if I'm going fast food, I think I got to go Chick-fil-A, waffle fries, spicy chicken sandwich, Polynesian sauce on the side. I'm getting a sweet tea. So good. Anyway, all right, Steve, now I'm starving and I have to 
not think about food because I'm on this challenge. But anyway, question number one for you, Steve. Le'Veon Bell was released by the New York Jets last night when he was drafted back in 2013. 2013, what is the team that selected him? Was it the Steelers, the Seahawks, or the Packers? Steelers. Question number two for you, Steve. Who was the Braves manager the last time they were in the World Series? Is it Brian Snitker, Bobby Cox, or Joe Torre? Bobby Cox. Steve, the Blues signed Kyle Clifford to a two-year deal this weekend. How many teams has he played for in his career prior to signing with St. Louis? Two, three, or four? I'll say four. And your final question, Steve. What player had the most RBI on the Cardinals in 2020? Is it Tommy Edmond, Paul Goldschmidt, or Paul DeYoung? Good question. We'll go with Goldschmidt. All right, checking score here. Randy's coming in, checking the score here. I like that last question. Thank you. Because that was a tough one, yeah. I, I feel like I would have gone the same route Steve did. That's just, I think, your, natu- your natural. I'm not going to say it because Randy's in the studio, but that's your natural default right. is to go with him. Makes sense. Uh, Randy, as you're settling in, please say good morning to Steve. Hey, Steve, how you doing? Doing great, Randy. Good to hear. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Randy, we were Thank talking you. fast food with Steve before you arrived. Oh, yeah. Uh, because Scott was telling me that he's only had fast food twice since we started our, our 75 hard challenge Good in 14 you. days. Thank but you, Randy. I didn't realize he was going every single day, seven days a week. Yeah, isn't that incredible? Through the drive-thru. Is that a great stat or what? Great stat. <laughs> I mean, he, if nothing, he was consistent. Uh, but the question around the room and then to you is, if you could go through one drive-thru and get one thing, where are you going? fast food. Oh, right now? Yeah, because obviously I'm dreaming of waffle fries from Chick-fil-A. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> we can't do that on 75 Hard. No, you know what I've been thinking, and maybe it's because of this baseball, and this is called effective advertising, it's uh, that new pretzel burger at Wendy's. Oh, I haven't even thought about that. Yeah. Pretzel burger at Wendy's. All right. Well, on December 16th, we can there, there are a lot of directions for me to go here. Yeah, I'm sure. All right, well, let's take it in the direction of the fight. All right. Question number one, Le'Veon Bell was released by the Jets last mm-hmm. night when he was drafted back in 2013. What was the team that selected him? The Steelers. Question number two for you, Randy. Who was the Braves manager the last time they were in the World Series? That would have been in, um, what, 1999? So it was Bobby Cox. Randy, the Blue signed Kyle Clifford to a two-year deal this weekend. Mm-hmm. How many teams has he played for in his career prior to signing with St. Louis? He has played, I believe he was with a team, maybe he was drafted by the Kings. I'm going to go with just two, Kings and Leafs. And your final question, Randy, what player had the most RBI on the Cardinals in 2020? The Cardinal RBI leader. Hmm. I think I'll just go with the... I'll go with Goldie. We have got a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. Close fight today, but Randy edged out Steve 3-2. to two. Here are the answers. So Le'Veon Bell was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was Bobby Cox, who was the manager of the Braves the last time they were in the World Series. Prior to signing with St. Louis, Kyle Clifford played for two teams, the Kings and the Maple Leafs. 
And the player who had the most RBI on the Cardinals in 2020 was Tommy Edmond with 26. How about that? How about Tommy Edmond? Steve, thanks so much for playing. We appreciate you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Appreciate it. That tells you a lot (laughs) about the Cardinals, does it not? What, that we're not giving enough love to Tommy Edmond? That Tommy Edmond led the club in RBIs. That tells you about their numbers, uh, four and five hitters a lot, I think, Mm -hmm. with as much as Goldie was on base. Kind of disappointing. I guess that's the way it goes. That's the way baseball go. It is. Hey, we're going to have a fun This Day in Cardinal Postseason history today. A lot of good things happened, including Michelle, and we'll hear the highlight from it at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. This is the 35-year anniversary of the Aussie home run. The go, go crazy, folks, go crazy. I think we all remember that call. That was awesome. Yeah, I shot uh, a place called, uh, I think it was Jerry's Subs or Johnny's Subs. Union Station had just reopened that summer. They had uh-huh. redone it. And so we went there before the game and had these huge sandwiches. And as we're getting ready for the 10th inning, because we know the game's going to extra innings because nobody's scored in forever, and it's a 2-2 game. And then Ozzy, uh, so we've, me, Joan, her brother, and his wife all have these giant sandwiches because we got the leftovers out to eat in extra innings. We, we were hungry. And the game had, I believe, been delayed by rain. So we were hungry. And then we've got these sandwiches sitting on our laps. And when Ozzy hits the home run, we all shoot up into the air and our arms fly into the air and roast beef and turkey <laughs> and bread and toppings and everything just fly all over the section that we were in. So you did go crazy. We did. It was an awesome day. And you know what? In a moment like that, you're not even bummed out that your sandwich went awry. You know what's weird about a day like that? And we'll, we'll talk about this later in the show. I remember I had to go downtown and I don't know if I had to pick up tickets or just do something at work downtown. But I remember getting a flat tire on 40. I was driving a 1984 Honda CRX, <laughs> and I got a flat tire on 40 at about 9 in the morning. So I had to change the tire on uh, 40 as I was driving downtown. But I was so hyped up because it was playoff time. I was It was early, and I, it didn't even wear me out to pump that uh, the, the jack and change the tire or anything. It was just, it's such a memory. I, I can see it in my mind's eye right now. And by the way, it was pouring rain, too. Really? Yeah. But just one of those days that you never forget. So it's pouring rain, you're having to change a tire, and you're not even upset because it's Cardinal playoff time. Cardinal playoff time was the best. Randy, same thing happened to me last year. Game three, Stanley Cup, Blues are hosting a game. I'm going home to see the family in the morning, and I get a flat tire on 44. And it was, thankfully, beautiful weather. I don't know if you guys know me very well, but I'm not a big handyman. Uh-huh. Uh, my girlfriend was teaching me how to change Ooh. the tire, ah, which was a, not a great look, but a good Ooh. pedestrian uh, came and helped us and taught us how to use the tire iron and spin it and That's get it good. up and going. And then, uh, of course, the Blues got smoked that night. I was going to say, so. game three, though, different outcome for you than Randy had that night. Horrible day for me. <laughs> Horrible day. What was, game three, know. that was, I think, when Bennington got pulled. Yeah, that was seven yeah, to two. That was, yeah, that was bad. And we had those uh, Boston media slash fans sitting in front of us cheering. Oh, that's right. That was terrible. Yeah, Randy and I were in the press box, and we got um, to sit in part, kind of a different section in a box almost. And it's kind of tiered, and we were on the top tier, and the entire tier in front of us was Boston media people who were just chirping the entire time. And, you know, in the press box, you're not really supposed to do that. You're supposed to just mm-hmm. kind of observe. But no, no. They were talking. So, and here's Randy, 6'2", 220 pounds, just sitting there kind of, you know, dealing with it. 
and Michelle and Erica Weston are both saying, should I say something to these jerks? Should I do something? I'm like, I'm like you need to zip it, all right? You're in our house. Yeah, our goalie just got pulled, but come on. But you know what? It worked out in our favor, Randy. It worked out in St. Louis's favor. Hey, we want to get the national view, the international view of the move of Alex Petrangelo to the Vegas Golden Knights, and the move of Tori Krug here to St. Louis. E.J. Raddick of NHL Network will join us to talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. You can watch NHL Network's E.J. Raddick on NHL Now and NHL Tonight. Check NHLnetwork.com for your local channel listings. You can also hear E.J. Raddick right now on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. <laughs> he joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, a longtime friend. E.J., it's great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Randy. Thanks so much for having me. and It's a nice chatting with you again. It has been a long time. We go back uh, probably to the Checkerdome days there. Right. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> no doubt. Hey, let, let's yeah. start with this. Uh, obviously, the story here and the story around hockey the last couple of days has been Alex Petrangelo signing with the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, I heard yesterday uh, a winner, uh, a group of winners and losers, and uh, Petro is rated as a winner. Do you have him in that column? Well, I mean, he got, uh, he's getting a lot of, anybody who gets 60 some odd million dollars in a contract, Randy, for me is a winner. <laughs> I mean, <right>. so, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a uh, positive. There's no question about it. I, you know, I, I think when I reflect on, you know, the whole path of those negotiations, I just think that uh, it, it kind of went down a bad path early in that, you know, the Blues win the Stanley Cup. They're a year out, so they have preliminary discussions. Doug Armstrong and Newport Sports, uh, I think they've had some contentious discussions in the past. But, you know, usually, you know, that's the way it is in this business. You know, negotiating can be tough. Uh, They're also they also represent Drew Doughty. I think that uh, they were probably looking for a number uh, that was somewhere in, you know, nine million plus. Uh, I think Doug got concerned that, you know, hey, with the team we have here, we are not going to be able to to find that much space. So they went out and traded for Justin Falk. Uh, I don't know how well that sat with uh, with uh, Petrangelo. Uh, as we continue to move forward, a lot of things unfolded that we did not expect, namely a, a pandemic and a flat cap. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the numbers kind of changed a little bit. Um, but I do think, like I say, the the battling back and forth, uh, it, it just it, it was just going down a bad path early, and they never seemed to be able to get on the right path. Despite the fact that I do believe Alex when he says that you know he wanted to stay in St. Louis. I think he's pretty moored there with his family, and uh, it will be something different to go to Vegas. But, you know, it just seemed like uh, sometimes the winds of a negotiation push something in in another direction, and I think that's kind of what happened here. Uh, The Blues go forward, and they pick up Tory Krug, who's a really uh, high-end defender at a price they can afford for their group right now. And they move forward, and Petrangelo goes to Vegas, where they have a really good team and 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 a real need for a a big, lanky, right-shot defenseman. So uh, in the end, it may work out for both sides. But, uh, you know, it's unfortunate because he is the captain, and I think that he did like being in St. Louis, and sometimes it just doesn't work out. EJ, this was a point that was brought up on our station yesterday. Our uh, Blues insider, Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic, spoke about this. But he said, if you look like at a guy like Alex Petrangelo, who's done everything for this organization and this community here in St. Louis, and he was the captain, he was the leader that helped guide the team to their first Stanley Cup championship in franchise history, and then they don't find a way to make it work with him when he wants to come back, that could potentially sh- you know, throw up some smoke signals to maybe 
potential free agents like, hey, there might be a loyalty issue here. If they if they're not going to take care of Petrangelo, will they take care of me? Is that something that you see being an issue uh, for St. Louis moving forward? Or do you think most players are looking at this like, hey, business is business? I think it's business is business. Hey, you want to talk about a loyalty issue? We'll just go no further to Alex Petrangelo's new home. I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury got thrown out overboard, although he's still on the roster and they are going forward with him right now, but that can't be a pleasant situation. They fired the coach that got them to the Stanley Cup final in their first year after, you know, a year and a half. Uh, They just gave Nate Schmidt away for for nothing, basically, to make room for Petrangelo. This is really a business, and, you know, yeah, some, you know, players would love to have loyalty. Ownership and management would love to have loyalty, too, from guys and have it be a two-way street, but it is business. We're talking about a lot of money. We're talking about short careers for these guys, and I don't, uh, you know, I don't blame any of them for trying to, you know, make as much money as they can make. And like I said, I think, you know, truth be told, I think they, w- you know, both parties would have liked it to work out, but sometimes it just doesn't. And I think, you know, the Blues have a really good team, and while they have a really good team, people that they acquire will be really happy to come there. E.J. Radica of NHL Network is with us on uh, Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And E.J., Tory Krug is a guy that because he's in the Eastern Conference, we haven't seen a ton of except for, obviously, the Stanley Cup Finals. But he seems to be a really good fit with the Blues in terms of adding some balance, getting a left-side defenseman. So you've got both Krug and now Scandella on the left side as, you, as your top two left. And you've got... Uh, Pareko and Justin Falk on your right side is your top two. That's a pretty good place to start, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, I don't know if it's as good as having Petrangelo and Pareko on that right side that just, you know, just shut the door on everybody for about 55 minutes of the game on the left side of the ice. <laughs> but, uh, you know, again, there's only, you know, we live in a salary cap world and we live in a flat salary cap world. So there's only so many things you can do. Uh, but I, I agree. I think that, uh, you know, they've got some pretty good players there, led by Pareko still on defense. And uh, I'm sure if Doug can do anything else, he's got to try to figure out what he's going to do with Vince Dunn. He's a restricted free agent. They're up against it, so he may have to try to move a contract if he wants to keep Vince Dunn. So, um, you know, it's still a pretty good group of defenders. But, you know, again, you got to make adjustments uh, when you talk. When you have good teams and you're up against the cap, this is where – you know, this stuff comes into play because you just can't keep any, everybody anymore like you used to. You know, it's really interesting. I'm sure you've seen what's going on in Chicago, that the players, you talk about loyalty, uh, Taves and Kane and Keith and Seabrook, who have these massive contracts, are upset that the Hawks are trying to move into a rebuilding phase here. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the bottom line is this. It's a winning business, as Mike Babcock likes to say, right? And the Chicago Blackhawks, while they did a lot of winning, uh, you know, between 2009 and 2015 or so, 16, there hasn't been much winning there since then. So uh, they've got to figure out what they're going to do. They've decided, you know, they're, they're keeping Stan Bowman in place as the manager. And while he's the manager, these are the deals that he's trying to make to kind of, uh, you know, retool this group. Um, but the bottom line is they haven't won. So, you know, they're, they're up against, as you mentioned, with some really big contracts that hurts their ability to keep players. I mean, I think if you want to be critical of Stan, I think he probably should have tried to find a way to keep our, our Temi Panarin a couple of years back mm-hmm. instead of being worried about the future. He still had two years on a contract with him in Chicago and he could have, uh, you know, played through that and then saw where they were at, at the time. He opted to move him to Columbus and, you know, that deal really didn't work out very well for them. And Panarin has gone on to be just a, just a terrific, terrific player. So, I mean, we can go back and forth about the moves that Stan has made. Some of them have been, I think, helpful. Others, I, I scratched my head. 
But as for those guys, they want to win. So I understand, you know, their concern, but it's been a few years now and they haven't done any winning. So I guess management feels like they have to do something. And if they want out that bad, I guess, you know, they could decide they could go there and, you know, go to management and try to, you know, seek a deal, but it's hard to move those kind of contracts as we've, we've been discussing. I mean, there's just not a lot of room for teams right now. EJ, what was your reaction when you heard that Taylor Hall signed with the Sabres? I was a little surprised. I think like everybody else, um, you know, uh, I thought, you know, the one year term, it wasn't that surprising just because I wasn't quite sure what the market was going to be for Taylor Hall. Um, you know, he had his best year a couple of years ago with the Devils. He was the MVP of the league. And I don't think he's ever going to have a year as good as that. I got to see a lot of that up close because being here in New Jersey, we get to see the Devils quite a bit. He was terrific that year. He had some injuries. He's kind of, uh, move back a little bit. And I think uh, what he's trying to do is go to a place where they have a really high end player to play with in Jack Eichel and put up some big numbers and then try to reset himself in the market. Uh, they also, you know, with the addition of Hall and with Eichel there and with some of the players, I mean, they have some good players in Buffalo. They've just got to figure out their defense. I think they really have to figure out their goal tending to moving forward. But, uh, you know, what he's trying to do is reset himself in the market. And if it goes well in Buffalo, he knows Rob Kruger, the coach. He was with him in Edmonton for a short time. And Rob Kruger is one of those guys that I think most people like playing for. Then maybe they settle in on some kind of longer-term deal. But, uh, you know, I think the main purpose for, for Taylor right now was that he just felt like the other offers weren't what he wanted. And uh, he'd like to take another crack at it after a year. We'll see how it plays out. You think he might go to a place where he had more of a chance to be successful in terms of winning. I mean, Buffalo may have a good year. Hard to say. I would say that the people aren't looking at them as a, a really high-end team right now, although they have some good players. But, you know, I think that the main focus for Taylor right now is to try to reset himself and have a good year in Buffalo. Final thing for EJ Raddick of NHL Network, and you can see him on NHL Now and NHL Tonight. Check NHLnetwork.com for your local channel listings. Is there a team or teams out there, EJ, that before free agency started, you didn't think were a Stanley Cup contender, but because of the moves they made, you think are now? Boy, that's a good question, Randy. I don't know. I I, I don't think that I feel that way. Uh, you know, like the teams that made good, you know, made moves. I already thought they were good teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, so I I think, you know, the the other moves there were some good moves out there. Like I said, like you know, Buffalo adds is Taylor Hall. He's a really good player. That should be someone that helps their offense and be somebody for Jack Eichel to play with and you know make the team better. But are they a Stanley Cup contender? No, not at this point. I mean, I think Montreal did some things that make them push them up in the Atlantic division a little bit further. But, uh, you know, I don't know if I would say that anybody did anything that changed, you know, the, the big picture for me, you know, there were some good moves or some helpful moves, but at the end of the day, I think uh, the teams that I think the Colorado's, uh, you know, the world Vegas was already a good team. St. Louis is a very good team. Vancouver's on the way up. Um, you know, they made some, you know, adding Nate Schmidt makes them a better group. Calgary picking up a goaltender. They haven't had a goalie in Calgary really since Mickey Kippersoff retired. So, you know, having marks from there could be a real big plus for them. But, you know, I don't see any, any move that anybody made that I would say, wow, that takes them to another level. Great to hear your voice, sir. Enjoy your brief off season. Hopefully we'll see you sooner <laughs> rather than later. All right. You got it. Thank you. Both of you. Appreciate it. Take care. That's uh, EJ Raddick from NHL Now, NHL Tonight on NHL Network joining us on 101 ESPN. I still think the Blues are a contender. Not not to the level they were when you had Petro, but mm-hmm. I still think that if everything goes right for them, they could win a Stanley Cup. I I do believe, he mentioned the Nate Schmidt move. 
I, I believe Vancouver and Winnipeg are both better because of what Vegas gave them. And I do think that the one team that I have questions about that I didn't the, the, didn't have questions about before is Washington. And I know Braden Holtby hasn't been great for a couple of years, but they bring in Henrik Lundqvist, and I'm just not sure about whether or not Washington has the goaltending now uh, with Vanacek to be a Stanley Cup contender. Heading into last offseason, the questions were, will the Blues have a Stanley Cup hangover? Mm -hmm. How much are they going to miss the big body and Pat Maroon? Can Jordan Bennington duplicate his performance? But you you typically felt very comfortable with the team that you had in place. We should do that one day. That's a segment. How many questions we have surrounding this team as we head in? Because it's well over 10, right? Yeah, we've got a few. We've got a few. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 906, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we have playoff baseball tonight here on 101 ESPN. The pregame at 7 for the Rays and the Astros. Tampa Bay with a chance to advance to the World Series with a sweep of Houston, Michelle. And how great would that be? Not only because we're cheering for the Rays, but to see the the Astros go down in that manner, to see Jose Altuve be one of the guys to make mistakes and contribute to that. Be great. Kind of makes you feel good. Let's go, Tampa. (laughs) That was a really weak clap on my part. Yeah, it was. Dodgers and and Braves play this afternoon at 5.05. Atlanta leads that series two games to none. The Rays looking for a sweep, by the way, to get to their first World Series since 08 when they lost to the Phillies in five. That was a bad world. That might be the worst World Series I've ever seen, that Tampa Philly World Series in 08. What made it so bad, in Teams, your The Rays were just not really compelling at that time. And every game in Philadelphia was affected by rain, and then the games in Tampa were played in that stadium. So it was just not fun. How much are you uh, putting into the Clayton Kershaw conversation about his continued... Lack of success in the postseason. I feel bad for the guy because he has had some good moments in in the postseason, but most of them, the memorable ones, are bad. They haven't won a World Series, and now this just really is a a, a bad look that he can't stay healthy in the NLCS. He's, in your opinion, is he the greatest regular season pitcher that you've seen? Yes. But part of being great is being able to do it in the postseason. Right, and while right. he's had his moments, as you mentioned, he certainly has. The, the term narrative is always interesting because it tends to imply that you're saying something that isn't completely true. But the narrative surrounding Clayton Kershaw in the postseason is backed up almost every single year for one reason or another. And for him, even though it's out of his control and it's something to do with his health, not being able to go because he has back spasms, it's it's just another thing to put on the list in the argument against him as why he is not delivering for the team in the postseason. And if you're the Dodgers and you've gone on this run and you've had this collection of talent and Clayton Kershaw is one of the faces of that, he's one of the guys that is supposed to lead you there and then he's contributing year after year in some way or another to your lack of success, Mm -hmm. to your lack of getting there, that's got to be maddening if you're a member of the Dodgers organization. And we talk about a guy like Kurt Schilling, who if he makes the Hall of Fame, it'll be based upon his greatness in the postseason, pretty average during the regular season. Kershaw is a lock for the Hall of Fame, but in 10 years and 18 series in the playoffs, he's 11 and 11 with a 4.23 earned run average. And you just, that is as opposed to his regular season earned run average of 2.43. So two runs a game higher in the postseason. 
Man. Tough. Pretty telling. Pretty telling. And 2.43 regular season ERA for as long as he's pitched since 2008. Pretty the, good. The disparity there, though. It's crazy. It's amazing. Today is a, a great day. A great day in Cardinal history. 101 ESPN presents This Date in Cardinal Postseason History. Looking back at the journeys to 11 World Championships. Brought to you by Woods Basement Systems. The highest rated, most reviewed, all things basement experts. WoodsBasementSystems.com On 101 ESPN. Michelle, it is October 14th, and on this date in 1985, this happened. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run, and the Cardinals have won the game by the score of 3-2, to two, and a home run by the Wizard. Go crazy. Most iconic call in Cardinal history? I think in history. Just leave out Cardinal history. Just in history, In, in history, yeah. It was unbelievable. And can we play that again? Because I want to point something out here, if Scotty can bring it up. Because in addition to go crazy, go crazy, which we all remember, think about the facts that Jack gives you. Think about him painting the picture of where the ball is, Mm -hmm. the score of the game. Yep. Go ahead. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run. And the Cardinals have won the game by the score of three to two. So with all those, all that drama, he got every fact that you needed to know in there, too. And he worked in Go Crazy. Right. Yeah. Pretty phenomenal. He was the best. I would so. say that one and then Joe Buck, Freeze, We'll See You Tomorrow yeah. Night. Homage to his dad. But those are the two that always stand out in my mind. Yeah. This is also a bittersweet day. This date in 2001 was our last chance to see Mark McGuire, and it went by the boards. Why not Johnson against Edmonds? And you're going to have a pinch hitter for Mark McGuire also. So Mark McGuire with three strikeouts tonight is going to be lifted for the pinch hitter, Kerry Robinson. And that was the last game Mark McGuire would ever play. He was pinch hit for by Kerry Robinson. Interesting. Isn't that amazing? That he was pinched for by Kerry Robinson. Yeah, in, in his very last game. Yeah. On 2004, ho-hum, game two of the NLCS against Houston, a 4-4 game in the bottom of the eighth, you know. <laughs> and he's given up a long one to pull. This guy's suffering. He is suffering. This one hammered. Left center field. They go Pujols and Roland back-to-back. Ho-hum, bottom of the eighth tie game. Albert Pujols, it's a home run to put the team ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> back-to-back jacks. No problem. No big deal. Yeah. And the Cardinals won that game 6-4 to four and went on, obviously, to uh, win that series against Houston before playing Boston in the World Series. And in 2006, game three of the NLCS against the Mets, Jeff Supon pitching for the Cardinals, so they didn't have to do much offensively. Two runners on for Scott Spezio. Spezio into right field. Green is coming to get it. It is another hit for Spezio, and two runs will score. Spezio ends up at third. He has delivered yet again. 
And the Cardinals would score a couple more and win that game 5 nothing, of course, because Jeff Supan, the NLCS MVP, was pitching. And Wispizio, as you're imagining that happened in your mind, you're imagining the facial hair yep. blowing in the wind. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, we had another one. We are going to get to it. Uh, Carlos Beltran in this date in 2012 hit a two-run homer in Game 1 of the NLCS, and the Cardinals rolled in Game 1 of the National League Championship Series in 2012. I loved having Carlos Beltran a Cardinal at that time. Yeah, it was great. Now I have, obviously, complicated emotions tied to Carlos Beltran. But at the time, he was, I always use the term elegant player. Yeah. He was so graceful. You mm-hmm. you really just felt his presence in in a certain way. He I, I really liked having him here in San One of those guys where you he hit so well you almost had the feeling that he knew what was coming. <laughs> Not here. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not here. That is today's big thing, and that is uh your daily look at this dating Cardinal postseason history. You can see all of these highlights, by the way, on our website, 101ESPN.com, brought to you by Woods Basement. And it really is amazing to be able to go back and not only hear these highlights daily, but if you want to watch them, you can do them at the website, 101ESPN.com. Getting to hear Jack Buck call Ozzy's home run, go crazy, folks. How does that not put a smile on your face? It has to. has to. You're killing me, Smalls. Coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. I'm sure Michelle has collected some good stuff today for... Killing me, Small! Randy B., before we get into the stories that I have for you today, we had done a poll about the topic of the day, if you will. The question was, would you trade Dylan Carlson for Randy Rosarena straight up Mm -hmm. to half of the 2021 season? About 1,500 votes so far. 76.8% of people saying no. I'm mildly surprised because we are too. prisoners of the moment, aren't we? We are. And we see a Rosarena doing what he's doing in the postseason. But you look at the fact that Carlson is about four years younger. He is a switch hitter and was more highly regarded by observers than a Rosarena. I think logic is prevailing here. Well, it does surprise me. Because yeah, we, we as fans tend to be fanatical and not yeah. logical. Right. It's what we do. It's what we do. You can still vote. Just go to uh, Michelle's Twitter page. I've retweeted it. I believe 101 ESPN has retweeted it. So if you haven't voted yet, we need your vote at 101 ESPN. Make your voice heard. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Randy, we're going to take a left because I want to play this piece of audio for you that I listened to on the internet yesterday. So you never know where you're going to find on the internet, right? All sorts of different things. And someone happened to record a confrontation that they saw at a Target. So I'm going to tell you what's happening, and then we're going to listen to it. So imagine, Randy, get your visual on, that you're just walking Target, you're going through, you're getting your household items that you need, and all of a sudden you look up and you see a woman in a wedding dress. Hmm. And she's confronting a man who is a Target employee He's got the red shirt on, the pin, the khakis, the whole set. He's stocking the shelves. He's doing his work. And she's saying, hey, we've been engaged for a long time. I am here. We're going to get married right now. This is the deal. And here's what it sounds like. You put this ring on my finger two years ago, and it's time to do it or get out. Yeah, we're getting married right now, or I'm leaving. I'm out. I'm done. Like, if you don't marry me this second, I brought the pastor. I brought Emily. She's my bridesmaid. Hi, guys. I'm just finally making him commit, you know? Like, we're getting married now or, like, it's over. Woo! Do it! 
Okay, so for those who might not have heard everything, it's the bride, a girl. Mm -hmm. She had been engaged to this this guy who works at Target for two years, and she had been sick of waiting. So what does she do? She has the ring on her finger. She buys a wedding dress. She hires a pastor. She brings her best friend, who is the bridesmaid. She confronts her fiancé at Target and says, hey, it's do or die. You're either going to marry me right here in this Target right now or I'm leaving. I'm sick of this. And he asks to talk to her in private. And as he's walking out, he says, could someone have told me about this? <laughs> and it all gets caught on camera and goes viral. No pressure. No pressure here. I don't know what made her think that that was a good idea. It's not because he's working. I know oh, you think a- that's why, Randy? You, you think that's the reason <laughs> well, why it's a bad idea? There are. And by the way. It would probably be best for that guy's future to not get married and let this thing end. But uh, there are situations in which if a guy isn't willing to make a commitment, it's okay for the woman to pressure him. Not in this way, obviously, with the wedding dress and the pastor and all of that at Target, poor fella. But uh, there are guys that are, and there are women, by the way, that are unwilling to make a commitment. But this is kind of a crazy way. This is like a wacky way to show or to ask a person for commitment. Is that going to last? If you force a guy to marry you in a Target store, is that is that marriage going to last? If you force a guy to marry you, period, or you force a girl to marry you, period, do you think it's going to last? No. It should be a mutual decision that yeah. you both arrive at together. Yeah. But imagine those photos. Let's say he goes outside, he <laughs> talks to her, and he says, okay, fine, I'll do it. And then, of course, she's going to post them on social media. And they're in the game aisle. And it's her, and it's him, and he's in the red polo and the khakis, and they have a pastor, and they're at Target. And people are like, oh, why did you choose to get married at his workplace and she says because I ambushed him I cornered him in the game aisle and I said hey if you don't commit right now I'm leaving <laughs> and be in the game aisle too congrats to the happy couple yeah, I mean I, it, guess so. I said the game aisle because it's a dangerous yeah. game she's playing dangerous game well, you you never get married within 10 15 minutes a half hour of one party saying if you don't it's over <laughs> You just don't do it. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, you got to press your luck. Yeah. And take it or leave it. If she got to the point where she had bought the dress, wore the dress, got the pastor, got the witness, gone to Target, she had already said, if we don't get married at some point, it's over. And he said, I'm going to push it. That conversation has already happened. It's not where they haven't talked about setting a date and she just decides to ambush him. And by the way, if you are in love, I do agree with the last statement that he made. Couldn't somebody have told me? (laughs) You're killing me, Small. Oh, man. I really want to know what happened to those two crazy kids. Oh, yeah, me too. We'll find out. I hope they made it. And can you imagine if you're him and you're just at work and then all of a sudden this is up on the internet? Kind of embarrassing. How old were they? Like... I, I didn't get all their stats. You know, I just saw the video online. I don't really know his government name or his address or his age, but I do know that he, that he was ambushed by his fiance. Yeah. And she says in the end, too, I'm shaking. I'm so nervous. What? <laughs> you should be. What are you doing? And the people that were recording, by the way, said, do it, do it. I would have been like, run away. Yeah. Don't do it. Say no. I mean, I hate to do that to the bride, but. Yeah, you don't want to have that. Uh, 
hanging over a marriage. One more thing about this. Mm -hmm. She needs new friends because the friend who showed up in the bridesmaid's dress here, that's when your maid of honor needs to say, Rebecca, this is insane. You've lost your mind. If he won't commit, Mm -hmm. you need to walk away. And she's like, I bought the dress. We're doing it. I'm like, I cannot be a witness to this. I cannot. I'm telling you, this is a bad idea. If you go through this, it's against my wishes. You need better friends, Rebecca. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not really your friend. No. You, you think, does Rebecca fit? It. I mean, I've watched the video. She kind of looks like a Rebecca. Okay, just asking. And do you, I mean, no disrespect, you know, disrespect to the Rebeccas out there, but doesn't it just sound like, oh, Rebecca showed up at Target. She forced me to marry her. Becky? Well, Becky stands for something else, though. Okay. Beyonce, let us know that. Oh, that's right. <laughs> So this is a more formal Rebecca. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> You're killing me. Now. Okay, so Aaron Rodgers, Randy, has been going on with Pat McAfee, mm-hmm. and he's been pretty vocal. He talked about, hey, last year I might have had a dip in numbers, but my low numbers are some guy's career numbers. He's been saying some things to make some people talk, and um, he took a, sh- a shot at ESPN. They asked him about watching other football games. Is that something that he does in his spare time? And here's what he had to say about the mothership. What are your thoughts on Justin Herbert being in an interesting situation as a young quarterback? He looks like he's got it, that guy. I didn't, yeah, I didn't see a whole lot of that. Uh, it was on for a little bit with the sound off, um, which is, you know, how I've watched a lot of games on ESPN over the last few years. Do you have issues with everybody at ESPN or just certain people? Like, who is it? I like a lot of people at ESPN. I really do. I love Kenny Mayne. Kenny's one of my all-time favorites. Love Kenny as well. Um, no, but uh, you know, I enjoy uh, I enjoy watching uh, watching football. I enjoy watching you know some Thursday night stuff and and Sunday night and Monday night. But I enjoy also listening to you know music during the games and not necessarily all the commentary at times. Do you believe him? Do you think he was taking? If if you have to turn the sound off, it's because you've listened before. Exactly. You know, you're kind of telling him yourself a little bit here. Well, and maybe you think that that's just not a very good crew. I mean, if you're Aaron Rodgers and you have Brian Greasy commenting on the qualities of Drew Brees, <laughs> is it really valid? All due respect. Same with uh, Lou Riddick, who's by all accounts a great guy, great broadcaster, but worked for a couple of teams in the NFL, and there's a reason that he's not a GM right now. So if you're Aaron Rodgers... Are you learning anything from those guys? Probably not. It's probably not good for your mental health if you're Aaron Rodgers to watch those things. But this is a guy that loves to have a chip on his shoulder. This is a guy that loves to say, Stephen A. Smith said X about me, and I'm going to use it as bulletin board material and motivation. He might not say it publicly, but the fact that he even could throw shade at ESPN tells you he's watching these shows and he doesn't like the things that are being said about him. I guarantee you that if Peyton Manning would have been hired and taken that job, that he would be listening. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think it's just the the level of the guys that are doing that job. And Monday Night Football isn't what it was. It used to, Well, they've had a rough slate past couple seasons. Yeah, but the people that they have broadcasting the games hasn't helped them much either. Monday Night Football used to be... The thing. The thing. Yeah. I mean, when it was... Obviously, when I was a kid, and it was Frank Gifford and Howard Cosell and Don Meredith, it was the show in the world. I mean, it was everything. But when they had Dan Deardorff and Frank Gifford with Al Michaels, it was pretty awesome. But then Sunday Night Football took over about 15 years ago, and Sunday Night Football became the thing rather than Monday Night Football. 
We just kind of transfer whatever the thing is. You know, yeah. we move from day to day, sport to sport. And we were a better world, sports world, when John Madden was part of it, when he was doing analysis for that big game of the week. You knew it was big if John Madden was there. Totally. And now, all due respect to the guys. Yeah. <laughs> did you feel that way when Gruden was in the booth? Yeah, I kind of did. He made it fun. He did. So, and by the way, I think... Romo would have been great on, because okay. he, I think Troy is the best real analyst, but in terms of providing personality and color commentating, I think Tony Romo would be great in primetime. Thank you, Michelle. You got it, Randy. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN, the guy who scouted Randy Rosarena for the race, Kevin Eibach, joins us on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> The Tampa Bay Rays are one win away from the World Series. They could wrap up the American League pennant tonight with their game against the Astros. It'll be heard here on 101 ESPN pregame at 7 o'clock. We head right now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And joining Michelle Smallman and Randy Carricker is Kevin Eibach. He's the Senior Director of Pro Personnel and Pro Scouting for the Rays. And it's great to have him with us on the show. Kevin, thanks so much for taking some time this morning. And first things first, good luck this evening. <laughs> Thanks, Randy. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, not to sound too cliche, but just taking it one game at a time and just really enjoying our time out here in San Diego right now. So looking forward to getting back to the ballpark this evening and watching some more baseball. Well, Kevin, we certainly want to talk to you about Randy Rosarena. That trade that you your organization made with the Cardinals certainly seems to be paying dividends. But when you guys evaluated Randy Rosarena, what was the book on him? What was your read on him as a player? Sure, Michelle. The- you know, Randy is a guy that's intrigued us for quite some time, certainly on the international front. Um, as it's well known, it's a little difficult to evaluate the Cuban players um, in their process to uh, gain residency and get over to the United States. So we had a little bit of background on the international side and then certainly kind of put, put, put our foot on the gas a little bit when he got over here uh, with the Cardinals. We um, we saw a, a guy that was really tooled up um, in the minor leagues. A little bit of crudeness to his game as expected, um, but a guy that was just real athletic, athletic, brought a lot of energy to the game, um, and then filled a, filled a need and a void in our organization that we didn't have, and that was a right-handed hitting outfielder. We've been, you know, we've been blessed to have some left-handed hitting outfield prospects in our system and uh, just didn't have anyone that dynamic from the right-handed side. So we've been on a quest for a couple years now to find somebody that could be a, you know, a sustainable part of our ball club going forward. And a lot of people are, are looking at Rosarena and saying, I don't know if people saw this coming out of him. Was this something that you had always expected out of him? Did you guys see this coming out of Randy Rosarena? Well, I think what he's doing here in the postseason, I don't think anybody's smart enough to, you know, any baseball player, regardless of his upside, to be uh, on a hot streak like he is right now. But certainly we like the tools. It's a guy that's got well above average speed, a well above average arm, um, and a guy that's always hit the ball hard, even in the minor leagues. And, you know, we've had scouts, a couple of guys on my on uh, my group here went down to Mexico and saw him play in the uh, Mexican Winter League down there, as well as you know at several stops along the way in Springfield and and certainly Memphis. So we've had our eyes on him for a while, and we knew the tools were there. It's just a matter, like like every player, you know, walking them through the maturation process, helping those tools become reality. And you know, fortunately, we put a lot of stock in our player development program over here. And once they got their hands on him and helped him kind of polish out some of the rough spots and, and accentuate a lot of the positives that, we see, that we've seen over the years. 
Kevin Ibach, Senior Director of Pro Personnel for the Rays, is with us on 101 ESPN. And Kevin, I believe it's 19 out of 28 on your roster right now that started in other organizations. That's correct, isn't it? Yep, and, and and that's it's one of those things that makes my job a lot of fun. Um, and certainly the the staff of fourteen, um, you know, that, that work with us over here is, you know, when we go out and scout games from coast to coast and, and throughout the world, really, um, we know that we're quite an active organization on the trade front, and that a lot of our you know the fruits of our labor will come through at some point, and and we have to be on top of our game. When you get together with your group, what's the first thing you tell them to look for in a player? What 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 are the common denominators among the really good Rays players that you guys go on and pluck from other teams? Sure. I mean, I, I think every player is a little bit different, certainly positionally and then position players versus pitchers. But, um, you know, we, we tend to gravitate towards players that, you know, go out and have some of the innate traits that, that any scout would look for. And that's, you know, the ability to hit the ball hard, be on time, consistent contact, um, you know, certainly on the pitching side, you know, everybody wants somebody who's going to go out there and be able to throw strikes. But, you know, do they have velocity? Do they have arm speed? Can we project on these guys? I think one of the things that gets lost in scouting is, you know, we're in an era right now where everybody wants now production. And, and the roots of scouting is really projecting into the future. So when we see these players when they're 20, 21 years old in the minor leagues, it's, it's using that, that crystal ball and kind of saying, hey, the production might not be there right now, but A, given the opportunity, will those raw tools be able to take the next step into the production? So, you know, I, I think one of the things that we do well over here and, and certainly that we take pride in is, is looking at the raw ingredients and then placing a lot of trust in, in our minor league development system and certainly Kevin Cash and his staff that when they get their hands on this player, that given opportunity that they're going to be able to, you know, produce and, and, and put up the numbers that we expect, even if they weren't there at the time of acquisition. Kevin, Randy Rosarena is certainly productive uh, on your side, your organization's side of the trade. So let's talk about what the Cardinals got in return in Matthew Libertor. What's your evaluation of him? What can you tell Cardinals fans to expect out of Matthew Libertor? Sure. Libby's a, Libby's a great kid, number one. And I think that's one thing that gets lost in the evaluation process is, is attitude and aptitude. And for a high school kid, a lot of times you don't know what you're getting. Um, you know, a lot of these young men are, have never been away from home before. Um, so certainly he's got a really good head on his shoulders. And in, in my time here, he was one of the hardest prospects to give up in a trade. Um, you know, left-handed pitcher with a plus fastball, could spin a breaking ball. The feel for the changeup came along a lot last year. So he's going to have three plus pitches at the major league level um you know it's just a matter of getting innings under his belt and we typically develop develop players at a slower rate and let them touch each level of the minor leagues coming up but um libby's got size arm strength and then certainly everything working from the neck up that's going to allow him to be a be a really good pitcher for quite some time and i think that you know with all with all due respect to randy and all the you know all the excitement surrounding him right now i I don't want it to get lost certainly in st louis or anywhere else in baseball that that matt libertor is a really really nice prospect that should be a long-term asset and, and, and fans would be happy to happy to be called part of their club you're making a lot of cardinals fans smile right now kevin but what with all that being said about Matthew Libertor and you saying that he was one of the hardest prospects for you to give up in a trade, you must have really valued Randy Rosarena to want to go out and potentially make that deal and give up such an asset in Matthew Libertor. Yeah, and, and honestly, the deal started, it, it came from start to finish fairly quickly. Um, it wasn't something that we we debated and 
and, and talked about for months and, and finally came to fruition there after, after long discussions. It was, it was more of a fleeting thought and something, you know, again, targeting that right-handed hitting outfielder. We, <clears throat> we tried to do that as best as possible this offseason with, with the additions of Hunter Renfro, Manny Margot, and then certainly Randy. Um, but it was just something that we felt we needed to do at the time to round out our major league team. And fortunately this year we, we felt like we had a good team coming into the season and wanted to augment that as best as possible. Um, we're not typically an organization that, that trades first-round draft picks and certainly the you know, certainly ones with the capabilities of Matt Libertor. Um, you know, so it was, it was something while we had our eye on Randy for several years now, this was not the first time we talked to the Cardinals about him. Um, it was something that came together fairly quickly because I think both sides really saw value in the deal. Hey, Kevin Ibach, before we let you go, I would imagine that your organization takes a great deal of pride in that in the final four, everybody is working from the Andrew Friedman tree. He used to run baseball ops for the Rays. He's now in L.A. where the the GM of the Braves, Alex Anthopoulos, worked for him. James Click with Houston worked with you guys. Your boss, Eric Neander, uh, yourself. It's kind of a Rays postseason here. Yeah, you know, it was kind of fun. Just obviously, we all stay in touch, and you know, seeing a lot of people have success elsewhere is always good. This is my twentieth year in baseball, and you know, I think that family tree branches out a little bit more each year. And uh, you know, James certainly here with the Astros, we're sharing a hotel with them in San Diego right now. So when they when they showed up the other night, it was nice to catch up with him for a few minutes since uh, you know he was a late departure this off season. But yeah, you know, uh, again, not to sound cliche, but it's just fun being out here right now and. And being at a baseball game, and this again, this is the first time in 20 years I've been uh, shut out from baseball for most of the summer, and my wife and kids have probably seen a little bit too much of me. So um, just, just being out here right now and being fortunate enough to go to the ballpark every day has been really fun. Like you say, one game at a time. Hopefully that one comes to pass, and we can talk to you next week when you're in Dallas. Awesome. I appreciate the time, Randy and Michelle. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. Have a great day. All right, take care. And good luck tonight. That's Kevin Ibach, Senior Director of Pro Personnel for the Tampa Bay Rays, one win away from the World Series. Certainly hope they get there, but what great information from Kevin about the way that they viewed Randy Rosarena. From the time he was in Cuba. Yes. And obviously kept an eye on him. And so the Cardinals had an asset that at least one other team really liked. And we had uh, uh, the ESPN analyst on last week, uh, Kylie McDaniel. McDaniel, who told us that anybody in baseball could have put together a package for Randy Rosarena. But clearly with that history, Tampa had a pretty good idea of what they were going to get. And the Cardinals did get something that they really valued in return in Matthew Libertor. But for him to say, this is someone that we had our eye on for a long time. And as soon as we got any sort of green light, we didn't even think twice about it. We went forward and made that deal. And circling back to the theme of the show, right off the bat, one of the first things he said was he brings energy. High energy. Yeah. That seems to be what everyone in the Tampa Bay Rays organization is using as an identifier for Randy Rosarena. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Scoops with Danny Mack is coming up at the top of the hour, and we will cross things over with Dan McLaughlin next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mack coming up at 10 o'clock here on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman heading down the stretch. And thanks for your response to the interview with Kevin Ibach, Pro Director of Pro Personnel for the Tampa Bay Rays. Interesting interview there. And uh, we learned some things. Yes, we did, Randy. 
I don't know, Dan, if you got a chance to listen to that at all, but it was interesting I did. to hear yeah. the, the Rays' point of view and how they viewed Randy Rosarena and why they were so excited to make that deal when it came about. I uh, It's exactly what I've been saying. I've taken a very uh, just kind of not not look. If you're a fan right now, what do the Cardinals need? Offense. Offense. Especially from the outfield. From the outfield. <laughs> so I get it. You're frustrated. But you, you have to take the long-term view of how this works out. And if we talk in, let's say, two years or three, four, five years, and Matthew Libertor doesn't pan out, then you say, yeah, it, it was a deal didn't work out from the Cardinals' perspective. And right now, Randy Arozarena is the hottest hitter on the planet, along with Freddie Freeman. Maybe in the universe. The universe, And so, you know, Randy Arozarena is tearing it up. Now, the league is going to figure him out. At some point, he's going to go on a tough stretch. He's not going to hit 462 for his career? And and at this point, he is going through a stretch on the highest stage, which is postseason play. He's going to guide the Rays into the World Series, and it's it's coming on the heels of a Cardinals team that was, at many times this year, very poor offensively and in a spot that they needed, an offensive outfielder. So I get it. And Matthew Libertor has a chance to be really good and we'll see if it plays out. And if it doesn't, it's really frustrating from the Cardinals' perspective. But from a baseball perspective of when you sit in his seat or Mo or Gersh or any of those kind of people, you have to let the trade play out. And we'll see if it does. And time will tell. And I think for Cardinals fans listening to that, hopefully they got some confidence hearing from the Rays saying, hey, we still think Matthew Libertor is going to grow into something amazing. And it was a very tough deal for us to make because of that. Well, my concern would be that the lack of innings from Matthew Libertor, that is my massive concern right now is that this entire season is lost Mm -hmm. you know he didn't get any innings now you can do what you want down in Springfield but that that's not minor league baseball that's you know some people have said well it was sandlot baseball well it's not sandlot baseball but it's not a game it's not competition it's not you know it's it's competition and where your inner squad games but that's not facing another team where you're building up innings and trying to get the game and and the feel of going against somebody else in a ball going up to double a and maybe getting to triple a it's just not it's not the same and that would be my concern of any of these guys but as it pertains to matthew libertor does it stunt his growth that would be my really my major concern for any of these prospects nolan gorman included what do these guys look like when they come out of uh this minor league season going into spring training next year and beyond and dan and I think that's very, yeah. I think it's a logical question. And yeah. that means across the board for any of these prospects, not only with the Cardinals, but in minor league yeah. baseball. You'll be happy to know that most character and Smallman listeners are taking a measured approach like you are, <laughs> sure. rather than being president pre, uh, prisoners of the moment. The character and Smallman question this morning on Twitter was, would you trade Dylan Carlson for Randy Rosarena oh straight up? 23% said yes, 77% said no. No, I... How many at-bats has Randy Rosarena had in the major leagues? Something like 80. Okay, can we just pump the brakes here? Well, uh, like you said, he's, number one, we play in a, an arena where we have a huge amount of recency bias, and he is doing it on the biggest stage. Okay. If, if, he, were, if he would have done this for Tampa Bay, and they were out of the race, and he would have done it in the last two weeks of the regular season, you're right. Nobody would have said anything. But the fact of the matter is, he's doing it in the playoffs. And more people are watching. More people are paying attention now. Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. All right. So 
So I, I do think that people, Jeff Supon got a big contract because he was the National League Championship Series MVP. When you perform at this time of year, people remember David Freeze. If David Freeze doesn't have that postseason for the Cardinals, he probably doesn't have as memorable of a career. When people perform on the big stage, people remember them and think about them. I, 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 I get it. I just think that we need to take a measured approach with this. Now, if Randy Arozarena hits 400 for the next five years, we can all say, yeah, I think that that one goes to the race. <laughs> I don't Depends think on that, what Libertor does. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Now, are we going to have the same conversation if um, Matthew Libertor gets called up in two years and goes 5-0 and down the stretch and puts the Cardinals in postseason play? Yes. Then we say, well, you know what? This is probably a good deal for the Cardinals, and it worked out for Tampa Bay, and so now it's a, uh, it's a win-win on both sides. A perfect example. Look at what we thought of Michael Waka and getting him in the Albert Pujols as Albert Pujols compensation when he was the 2013 NLC. MVP. We thought, wow, we really got something here. And you did. You, yeah. you also got cost control, and you got uh, a guy that, that helped you for years beyond that, and you also got another good player in that, too, with compensation. But, you know, we can go down that road, too. I, I just think, you know, in the immediate, it's lopsided as lopsided gets. Now, we are... <laughs> The immediate is about a four-week stretch here of unbelievable baseball from a guy that's doing historic things in in postseason play. So from a fan's perspective, I get it. Myself, you're asking me, I'm taking a measured approach with this, and that's how I approach it. And I appreciate that. I think there's also another tentacle to this conversation and to that question in particular, because, yes, there's recency bias based on what we're seeing Randy Rosarena do right now. But I think that also opens up the conversation to... The Cardinals have put a lot of stock in Dylan Carlson. They have said, hey, John Mosaic said, you're going to have to pry him out of my cold, dead hands. We believe he's the future of this organization. And if you're seeing them deal guys who are having a lot of success elsewhere, it's more or less how much do you trust the Cardinals' evaluation of him to grow into the player they're projecting him to be? Uh, I I trust him very well. I I think if you look, first of all, we got 13 consecutive winning seasons of baseball here in town. Uh, the Yankees are the only other team that have done that right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, uh, let's see, we got 13 consecutive winning seasons. We have only the Yankees have more postseason play in terms of games. Okay. So recently we've seen Luke Voigt. We've seen a Rosarena. Let's see who else we want to go down the road here. We got Marco Gonzalez for Tyler O'Neill. Uh, who, who else we want to throw out there? Come on, you guys! I you guys, the, you got the list. Let's, Mercado let's, had a good year last year. <clears throat> Who did? Oscar Mercado, not this year. No, but two years ago two he did. Year, yeah. Not yeah, bringing no, back Ozuna, fam. There's, you know. Um, okay, I I can counter with. Let's see. I, I'll go with. I think KK has been pretty good. I would say the Miles Michaelis deal is worked out pretty well. He was an All Star that first year when no one thought that that would work. No one thought that the KK thing was who's KK. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think that the Wong extension has been a pretty good one. I would think that the Young extension at shortstop for what the value you've gotten out of him has been pretty good. Um, you can question certainly the Carpenter extension, the Fowler. Ex- I mean, we can go tit for tat on this stuff. Okay, you got thirteen winning seasons. All right, what do you what do you want for what do you want from me? I mean, you know, I, I I can sit there and go back and forth with all this stuff. I mean, what do you want? What do you want, Michelle? I mean, they win. 
They go to postseason play. There's going to be mistakes along the way. There's going to be some non-mistakes. Sometimes they, I, I would say that their development of players has been exceptional. And sometimes they have made some trades that don't work out. Sometimes they do. That's how it works. That's baseball. I would let the long-term resume of this organization play out for itself. I'm not trying to be a homer. I'm seeing really good baseball. I'm going to see probably pretty good baseball next year. They're going to be competitive. We'll see how they do it in the offseason. Budgets will be constraints on what they do. Don't know what they're going to do. We'll find out. I would assume Yachty's the number one thing they're going to talk about. Then Wayno, then addressing the offense, and then they go from there. And I, I do believe that they're, it's fair to be frustrated if you're a fan and your team does struggle offensively and you see multiple teams in the postseason where guys that you used to have are hitting third for them. Okay, yeah, yeah, that doesn't frustrate you with the, the way the Cardinal offense performed, and seeing Fam or seeing uh, a Rosarena or seeing Voit perform well for other teams. Well, you know, I, I don't think anybody in their right mind thought that Randy Rosarena would be doing what he's doing, no, or Voit. I'm, I'm frustrated, sure. I mean, but I didn't, I didn't see that happening. I also think that. Um, you you got a pretty good pitcher on the flip side, and I, I do think not enough people look at the Gallego situation. You know, it's kind of like, well, you got you got, and and again, though, I think, and I'm going to play devil's advocate to myself. I think you know a lot of people looked at Chase and Shree being the key point in coming mm-hmm. back in the void deal, but Gallegos was awful. He's been awfully good. He's been awfully good in your bullpen, and for some reason that gets overlooked. I understand why fans are frustrated with the offense. It needs to be corrected. Am I frustrated at times with the offense? Absolutely. But I think the the complete body of work of what they've been able to do, it's been pretty darn oh, good. No, no question. Yeah. If, if you look at the, the big body of work and stack it up against any other team in baseball, even including the Yankees since John Mozeliak has taken over, they're better. You would say the Cardinals have been better than the Yankees since the, Mo took over. Each team has won one World Series. The Cardinals have been <clears> Yankees two. won in 09. Cardinals went to uh, 11 and see, 13. 11 and 13, yeah. So the, the Cardinals have been to more. Mm-hmm. They've been in more playoff series. I, I believe since Mo took over, they've won more playoff games. So from that perspective, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the Cardinals are number one and the Dodgers are number two. That probably is right because they had a rough stretch with the McCourt situation yeah. in L.A. Yeah. So, no. If you look, look I, I mean, look I, I come in here every day, view. and I, I mean, I say the same thing. I, I get it. I mean, I, I know there's frustration. I don't know what you know, what else to say. Yeah, there's frustration. Randy Rosarena is tearing it up. My, my point is, I'm going to let the thing play out, and I want to be a prisoner of the moment. Darn it! I mean, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you want me to say? I, I, I totally understand that. Um, you know, there's, there's. There's frustration with that, but I'm I'm going to let the thing play out. And if we're talking in two years, if I haven't been fired by then, um, <laughs> then and Matthew Libertor is not here, then yeah, we can say that that was a bad deal, that was a misread. But I'm telling you, people in front offices wait for the thing to play out. So wait for it to play out. What do we got coming up on scoops? Uh, Brian Walton. We're going to just tear up the front office and tear <laughs> up this deal. And no, we're going to talk about what they may do. There's a lot of construction on the 40-man roster, and what people may not know is that when they had to put a lot of these guys on the IL, they have to be added to the 40-man, which then means a lot of maneuvering coming up here in the, probably in the next two weeks, the minute, basically, that the World Series is over. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of 
maneuvering coming up. We'll be tuned in. Thanks to our producer engineer, Scott Manziar. Great job, sir. All right. Thanks, Randy. Michelle, this was fun. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. See you tomorrow. And we appreciate you tuning in, texting in, being a part of our show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.